You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, we are back. No question about it. Scott Merkin from the Chicago White Sox. He covers them for MLB.com. We'll be here to talk about Liam Hendricks at 1.30. Our buddy Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros at 2 o'clock. It's a Thursday. That means it's a Ray Fossey day. Ray Fossey will be here uh, at 2.30. Michael Fisher, Codify Baseball. I can tell you we interviewed him earlier today. He's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. He is the guy that's helping pitchers get better. These heat maps, you might have saw the article, Susan Slusser from the Chronicle had it. You know, he basically is telling these guys, this is where you're good and this is where you're not. This is where you should live and this is where you should stay away from. If you look how Jake Diekman had an unbelievable year, you look at Liam Hendricks, all of these guys. He's been working with Dan Straley. Dan Straley's gotten better, uh, especially what he did in the KBO, so... It's a fascinating interview at 3 o'clock. And then one of your voices of the Oakland Athletics, Vince Catronio, is going to be here at 3.30. It's a jammed, packed show. Commander Cody, you are a Pirates fan. Who is Nick Turley, and is he any good, the guy the A's got today? So Nick Turley pitching for the Pirates. Let me, let me give you a little reminder. The Pirates were the worst team in Major League Baseball last year at 19-41. and 41. Hello, first round. Hello, number one overall pick. Uh, hopefully Jack Leiter, but back to Nick Turley. Left-hander, 31. TJ guy, meaning he had Tommy John surgery before. Uh, wasn't very good last year for the Pirates. He did have a save. In the era, I think his area was under five, so that's, uh, I guess, good. Uh, it's 4.98. Hey, it's below five for a bullpen that was uh, terrible. 0-3 with a 4.98. Uh, he's 31. He, he had a pretty good uh, run of success in the minor leagues, but, you know, he missed the last couple of years before 2020 with, like I mentioned, Tommy John surgery. Uh, I think there's some upside to him maybe as a left-handed guy, but 31. He strikes guys out. He had 20 strikeouts and 21 and two-thirds, so he's he's a, definitely a strikeout guy. Mid-90s fastball around 94 is what he averages, and he, throws a, he threw a curveball as a secondary pitch last year. He kind of dropped his changeup, so – uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a good move. It's a very, uh, it's a very under the radar move. I wouldn't say it's gonna. It sets the A's atop the uh, AL West kind of move, but you know, it could be one of those moves that you know helps him out down the road. Kind of like a remember Burt Smith last year. No one thought anything about the Burt Smith signing, and look how good he was before he got hurt. So great, Burt Smith. Yeah, I mean, he could be a guy. Could be the closer. He could be one of the candidates to close for the departed Liam Hendricks. Speaking of Liam. One of the saddest texts I've sent earlier today. 
I sent Liam Hendricks a text congratulating him on his new deal. And it's tough to see him go, but the reality is he was going to get paid by somebody. And we just waited and waited and waited, and finally it's the Chicago White Sox. And I think, Cody, we have to say everything he did for us on A's Cast and A's Cast Live, no A has been on our program more than Liam Hendricks. He was so generous with his time. He never said no. And so, you know, it's one of those deals. And, and you know, you love certain teams, but what you do is you, is you, you, you fall in love with the players and you like the players. So there's a lot of, you know, during that World, World Series run for the Nats, you know, you know, when we would have Chip Hale on, Kurt Suzuki. I mean, you root for the guys that you know and that are good people. And Liam Hendricks is truly one. I can't say this enough. He's truly one of the best human beings I've ever been around. I mean, he's far better than I am. I mean, everything that he does when he's not playing baseball, he and he said it on this program. He wants to make the world a, a better place before he leaves it. So what he does for animals, what he does for kids, I mean, he's making sure that kids, you know, and, and especially during these times when, you know, there's a lot of kids that their their best meals of the day are at school. And he doesn't want them to go hungry over the weekend. So he sends them home with food. I mean, there's a lot of different things Liam Hendricks is a part of, and that's why I say, uh, he's a hell of, he, he just, as a person, is just incredible. And he's going to be missed. He'll always be friend of the program. But Liam Hendricks will be missed. But when they're not playing the A's, I think, Cody, we can both say, well, we will really be rooting for Liam Hendricks to do well there in Chicago with the White Sox. Where? Where do you go? Uh, that would be, I think they call it um, Southside. Yeah, the Southsiders, the, the White Sox. Man, that bullpen they have now with him and, and Bummer and Jace Fry and um, Garrett Crochet, uh, Michael Kopech, if he's not starting, he's coming back after he opted out last year. He throws 100-plus. He might be a starter, but he's a righty. They have so many options in that bullpen. And now with Liam coming in, that old adage is if you can't, if you can't beat him, join him. Well, the White Sox did it. If you can't beat him, take the guy that beat you last year and put him on your team. So that's what they did. Uh, an interesting way the deal works out for Liam, but, you know, it, Good for him. He worked. He worked his uh, behind off uh, to get to where he's at. You know all the DFAs. You know, being the opener in the Walker game in 2018 to being on the media guide as you always bring up, and then an All Star reliever. The you know AL reliever of the year, and now you know he got one of the largest contracts ever for relievers. So good for him. Uh, I hope he does well in Chicago. He's still young, young enough where he will. That division's really tough now. Well, it's really front loaded with them and the Twins, but yeah, it's a two team. It, that, 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 that's a two horse race. I'm not. Some of these people who are still trying to act like Cleveland's going to be good, I just like, I'm not. I mean, look, you can't lose Bauer, Clevenger, Lindor. You can't lose all these guys and think you're still going to compete. So I think that is a, um, that's going to be fun to watch between Minnesota and the Chicago White Sox. And probably the number one news, Bob Nightingale, 
friend of the program, USA Today, put out there that Rob Manfred, another friend of the program, informed all of the clubs spring training's a go. Starting on time. And the plan is to play a full 162-game season. Players are not having uh, anything less. It's what they want. It's what's the deal. It's the collective bargaining agreement. That's where the owners and the players union and Major League Baseball, they they form a deal. And these are the rules. And I think for all of us, that's music to our ears. Let's get going. Spring training, start of the season. And as I told, I don't know if I did it last show or I did it the week, last week, but it's just, you can't, you can't be turning on football games and seeing fans in the stands in Buffalo and the national championship game. And then all of a sudden you turn around as baseball and you're like, I don't know if we're going to play. Like they're playing a full NFL season. We're in the playoffs. Super Bowl around the corner. Where is the Super Bowl this year? Uh, that'll be in Tampa Bay. And there's going to be fans in the stands for the Super Bowl. We just saw the national title have fans at the, in the stands in Miami. I mean, what are we talking about here? It, I mean, sharks are getting going when? Tonight? Tonight, 6 o'clock puck drops. Yeah, I mean, NHL, NBA, everybody's playing. Let's go. And that's what's going to happen. Until further notice. And it's going to be great to see because we're, you know, I I don't know what we can really. I think we're going to be able to see more spring training games than ever before. That's what I would predict. I don't know if we're going to see him on the app or how how it's going to work out. I just think we're going to get we're going to get a lot of spring training coverage. But we still need to figure out the rules. Is there going to be a DH in both leagues? How many guys are going to be on the roster? Are we going to have a taxi squad again? I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be decided, and we're in mid-January. And what we've told you, and which I think is going to be real accurate, is once this is all established, I think we're going to see guys flying off the board. I mean, as we got, what, what do we got, Cody? 270-something free agents that are still out there waiting to sign? Yeah, we, I think we've only seen what? I think well, now three because Pedro Baez signed a uh, two-year deal with the Astros last night. Uh, there's been, like, I think three guys that have signed a multi-year deal in free agency so far. It's been Baez, Liam, and then, of course, James McCann are the only guys. A lot of the guys have been one-year deals, and the rest are still sitting there, like a Springer, a Real Milto, a Bauer. Those guys are still there, but... Yeah, there's like 270 free agents available still, and only like three of them, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, have signed multi-year deals. And it's being reported that Marcus Simeon is talking with the A's. He's talking with other teams. But I think the big key here is the fact that these other teams are looking at him not as a shortstop. And I just, I have a, I mean, you know, money's money, right? I mean, I can't, I, I can never tell somebody that, you should take less money. I mean, this is generational wealth, right? But for me, knowing Marcus Simeon and the pride he has and everything he has done as a shortstop, 
I just have a hard time thinking of Marcus Simeon, you know, just taking the money and going to play second base somewhere. I just, I just, I, it might happen. I just, until I see it, I just don't believe it. I think Marcus Simeon sees himself in his career. He's a shortstop. He's one of the best shortstops in the league. And if you don't want him at short, he ain't coming to play for you. And that's where I think Oakland stays involved in this negotiation. Because he knows, I think, A, he loves all these guys. B, he knows he has a chance to win here. And then, of course, C is he knows if he signs here, he's going to be a shortstop. I know Jim Bowden uh, posted that, you know, it was yesterday on Twitter that the teams that are looking at him are the Phillies. They need a shortstop with uh, with uh, DD gone. The Reds need a shortstop after they traded Jose Iglesias away, or not Jose Iglesias. Um, uh, they they had they, Freddie Galvis is a free agent for them, and then the Red Sox, who reportedly, according to Jim Bowden of the Athletic, they want Marcus to play third instead of Marcus playing second base because they have Xander Bogarts who already plays shortstop, and then the A's who need a well, they need a second baseman, but Marcus will play shortstop for the A's. There's no question about that if he returns. So those are the four teams that Jim Bowden was talking about. Uh, interested in Marcus, and they all make sense, you know, for many reasons. The Red Sox, not as much, but definitely the A's, Phillies, and and Reds because they all need a shortstop. It. I think Marcus's best fit is here in Oakland. You know, Bay Area kid. Um, what he's done for this team, his transformation since coming over in the trade from the White Sox. What he means to the organization. The you know his relation with the players, and and the fans too, because the fans love him. And I think that that sends a good message if Marcus comes back. Like, hey, you know. He's committed to being here. We want him here. So that's, you know, we can, we'll monitor that closely. And uh, I hope he comes back too. I mean, he's still young-ish. I mean, he's like a year younger than I am. So he's in his, if he's not 30 yet. I always, His age always escapes me when I when we're talking about him. I can't remember if he's 30 yet or not. Yeah, he's 30. He just turned 30. So Marcus is two years younger than me. I, he's still on the, you know, the prime of his career, you could say. Uh, they say, what, 27 to 32 is your prime. So he's still right in there. I would throw the 2020 stats out the window because like we are like we are for a lot of guys, you know, guys like Andrew Benintendi, who the A's have been linked to the last couple of days, like guys like that. Just throw 2020 out for a lot of these guys. Uh, but for Simeon, I definitely think you get rid of that, and hopefully he can get back to that 2019 form if he returns to the A's when he finishes in the top three of the AL MVP voting. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I, I don't know why they're reporting about the Red Sox. Red Sox are, are not trying to win. Red Sox are, are in full-on rebuild mode. So just from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense that you would go out and want a guy like Marcus Henry, who is what, 30 years old, about to be 31, and expensive? Why would the Red Sox want that? They've shown no indication that they're going out and bringing anybody. Every indication we get from the Red Sox is that they're looking to move their players. Like, I bet the Red Sox are praying that there is a universal DH again. And, uh, I mean, what do you need? If you're not trying to win, why do you need J.D. Martinez and paying him that much money? You don't. You don't need him. You you don't. If you're trying to get younger, that's why you try to move on from Andrew Benintendi, even though he's still pretty young. He's only 26, and he's not making that much money. 
He's making like six point, you know, six and a half million dollars. That's, I mean, that's generational wealth to you and I, but to baseball players, that's really nothing. Uh, and then you also have in your outfield, Jack, they lost Jackie Bradley Jr., so you're going to want to go young in center field. And they have Alex Verdugo, who they got in the trade for Mookie Betts, so they're trying to go young, and I get what they're trying to do. Adding Marcus doesn't make sense for them. And to play second base, yeah, I don't think Dustin Pedroia is coming back uh, ever, and it's a sad no. thing because he was a great Red Sox second baseman. But, I mean, they still got Devers and Bogarts in their in their infield, and, you know uh, – I, I don't. I'm drawing a blank, completely blank on who plays first base for them. That's how bad the Red Sox were last year. It wasn't Mitch Moreland. It wasn't Steve Pierce, uh, the former uh, MV, uh, World Series MVP Steve Pierce. That is. Uh, so yeah, the Red Sox they're they're trying to rebuild and retool their farm system that um, we saw that saw Dave Dombrowski pretty much trade everyone away. Then, but they won. But now you're seeing what they're trying to do, kind of like what Detroit's trying to do after Dombrowski left. So. I think, like I said, the Phillies and and Reds make sense for Marcus, but I think the the most sense is is back on Oakland for sure. Yeah, and I think that I you know it would be such goodwill for the fan base to have Marcus Simeon sign and stay with the A's. It, it would be a very now potentially he 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 could still be gone, and if Marcus is going to get you know if Marcus is going to get a deal, you got to remember he's had one. He had one year of power, and then he's had one great all-around year. Just one. That's why it was hard to believe. When I, 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 you know, I didn't buy it when his agent was like, "Yeah, hey, eighty to a hundred million. He's not getting eighty to hundred million. That's not happening." And that's kind of really the tough thing for a lot of these free agents is right now you have some big market teams who are going, you know, they're going underground. They're 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 going into the retool mode. When you look at Boston and you look at Chicago, you look at San Francisco. So you're you're taking the some of the big boys out of the market. I mean, that's who you want. That that when you're a free agent, you want all those guys fighting for you. You know, now that the Mets are players, but you take Red Sox, you take. You take Cubs and you take Giants out, man. That's that, that that's pretty brutal if you're a free agent and you're just looking for the top dollar. Yeah, then you're looking at second tier teams like we kind of like what we saw with Carlos Santana signing with the Royals. You know, he got he got he got his uh, he got his bread as the uh, the modern kids say. He got his bread seventeen and a half million for two years with the the Royals. But you know, you're not going to get the Indians, you know, spending money or the Pirates or probably the Rays are going to spend money. Like you're, If the Mets and these teams aren't in it and the, and the Yankees are, you know, looking like they're trying to sh- uh, shed a little cap and not sign anyone because they're trying to figure out the DJ LeMahieu situation, it, it kind of leaves you in a hole. And for like I said, for Marcus, it makes so much sense for him to return to Oakland. Maybe you take a two-year deal and you're still only 32 when you when you're, that deal's up. You still might be able to get more money again. But uh, – it, you're right, and, and the goodwill for the Ace fans, I think that that's what, something that, you know, that plays a big part because everyone knows how much Marcus means to the fan base. So him coming back would be huge for, for everyone, and, you know, hopefully it gets done. But, you know, there's there's options out there, but, you know, he's the number one option for me for them to play shortstop in 2021. Yeah, he's just – he's a great fit. I mean, it's just what 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 you have right now is you have a core that – whether the whether the national pundits want to agree or not, you have a core 
that's got a chance to win the World Series. You're one of those teams. And I think there's only a handful of those teams. Because now that we're going to play 162 games, your weaknesses get exposed. Like, you can cover stuff up for 60. I mean, look at what the Rays did last year. They they bullpinned you to the death. They're not going to be, you can't do that for 162 games. Like, I, I, I don't want to say I'm, I think the Rays are not, I mean, you can't lose starting pitching like they did. And you think that they're going to really, you know, I mean, they lost some really, you know, when you get, you know, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, these are, these are legit starting pitchers. I don't know how you replace that. And if we're playing a full season and you're, you're going bullpen by committee and you're going to have, what was the grand total in 13 different guys have saves. That's not going to work in a full six month season. Yeah, and replacing guys like I mean, you're right. You don't replace a Blake Snell. You don't I mean, you don't replace a Charlie Morton, even at the advanced age he's in in his late thirties in his career, him going to the Braves and obviously Snell going to the Padres, you can't replace those guys, especially with the guys they have. I mean, they have some guys in their farm system, but a lot of their guys are Tommy John guys that, that have that are starters in their uh organization and their farm system. So I don't know how they're gonna do that and you can't have uh Peter Fairbanks going out there every you know, every five times a week pitching in the uh, eighth inning for you and Nick Nick Anderson pitching six, seven, eight, and nine different matchups throughout the week. You have to put together a pitching staff. The only guy they really have besides uh, Tyler Glassnell is like Ryan Yarbrough and I think Torinos will be coming back, but they don't have any other top-end starting pitchers. I think there's the one guy they had. Was it Fleming? Josh Fleming. He started a, a playoff game for them in San Diego last year. That's another guy they have, but that's really about it. Like They got to put together a pitching staff this year. I definitely think the Rays take a step back for sure. I can't believe I'm saying that against my good friend Kevin Cash, but I think they take a definite step back because they lost so much in their starting pitching that they already were undervaluing anyway. Um, And then, you know, the Yankees are going to be the Yankees still, and Toronto's going to get better in that division, and, well, the Orioles will still stink, so they have that matchup going for them. It's almost like they went for it last year, and then now they understand they're going to take a step back. Kind of like Marlins. Instead of saying – Hey, look at this team that we have, and we should build a, 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 on. And that's where I think baseball really needs to start thinking about its future. You know, when you got a team that won the American League, what kind of sport do you win and you get to the championship game? And then after that, you punt and say, you know, we're going to wait for a couple more years. You just don't do that. It's true. I mean, we saw the Marlins do it twice after they won the World Series. Yeah, it's bad. You know what it is? It's bad for business. I mean, when, when you have so we have X amount of teams saying they don't want to win, that's bad for business. And baseball and Rob Manfred, they have to understand that. Like the A's. We're never gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna lead the league in salary. But you know, Billy Bean and David Forrest are gonna try and win. They don't. They don't believe in rebuilding, retooling. They believe in trying to win, and there's gonna be some obstacles. 
And that was that you know that was one of the main things that I tried to stress a couple of years ago is that to win in a place like Oakland the way it is right now all the heads got a they got it they you, you and I had this conversation actually with Billy Bean one time you got to know the obstacles and you got to know how to get over the obstacles and that's where a lot of these guys that we see these modern day young Ivy League guys they they struggle not everybody who goes into rebuild mode turns around and wins the World Series like the Astros or the Cubs. A lot of teams just stay bad for years. And that's what's so key about what we have in Oakland is the fact that we've got people like Bob Melvin and we got people like David Forrest and we got people like Bob uh, Billy Bean. They understand the obstacles and they know how to deal with them. And they know how to continue to win even though they have they, they have these hurdles in front of them. I mean, if you if I had to bet, I'm not betting with Heimbloom. There's going to be a point where people are going to rise up in Massachusetts and in New England, and they're going to be like, "This sucks," and you're charging. Once fans start getting back to the ballpark, I still think the Red Sox are the highest ticket, right? Yeah, they, I mean, you would think they probably would still would be what because I, mean, I don't think I don't think Boston would be. And you're right. Once they come back, they're still probably going to charge top dollar. I mean, top dollar. I mean, yeah, need to make money somehow. I, I, you know, because Fenway is so small, and they want to generate as much revenue as possible. They, I believe their their average ticket is the highest. I mean, how long do you think that's going to play? I mean, this is a town that's used to winning. They're now used to winning Super Bowls. They're used to winning World Series. They've won the NBA. I mean, look how many times the Celtics have won the NBA Finals. The Boston Bruins, they're used to winning. And you're now telling me that we're going to, like, we traded. Like, can you imagine telling a season ticket holder whatever you're paying and you traded Mookie Betts? You, you, you traded a potential Hall of Fame player and you're one of the and you're charging the most money for tickets in the game? I, that's got to be – I don't know about you, man, but that's got to be a tough sell. Like, I, and if you're going to go out and you're now going to get your brains beat in by, by the Yankees, the Rays, the Blue Jays, how long do you think Bloom's going to last? Because this isn't Tampa, man. The The – the the Boston media is a whole different that's a whole different pond of fishing than being in Tampa and the St. Petersburg Times or whatever it's called. You, and you look at Andrew Freeman, the guy that Heim worked under in, in Tampa, who went on the, you know, run the Dodgers. Um, they just won the World Series and they won eight straight division titles. Now that's not all of them are under Heim, but are under Andrew Freeman, but he's been there since what, twenty fifteen? So he's doing a nice job but and he's actually they're not spending as much money if for a while they weren't, but they were developing players. Now, Boston has to get on the level of developing players and keeping their players. And uh, it's not a good start when you trade Mookie, but I didn't see the Dodgers going out there and going, you know what, we're going to trade Clayton Kershaw. I just don't think we can keep him around anymore. No, they gave him an extension, and they kept him. 
They traded for Mookie Betts, and they immediately extended him. You know, they, they're the way that Andrew Freeman's running the Dodgers is completely different than how Heimblum is running the Red Sox to start his uh, tenure there in Boston. How many years? I, 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 I don't think he – unless he's got, like, the full commitment of ownership, at some point everybody's going to look around and go, what are we doing here? You know, remember when he had Pedro Martinez? Remember when he had Big Poppy and he had Kurt Schilling and he had all these guys? And now you're just a bunch of young kids not paying any. I just I don't I just don't know how long that lasts. But where are we heading next, Cody? Uh, I believe the South Side. The South Side of Chicago. We're gonna talk a little bit about Liam Hendricks, about the White Sox. They made a very interesting deal. Scott Merkin from MLB.com and covers the White Sox will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, coming up here at the top of the hour, we're going to have Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros and obviously a World Series hero with the Chicago White Sox, just kind of Checking in with Blummer in 2021. Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com, is going to join us in moments. Are, 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 do we have everything get together now, Commander? Yeah, we are good. And uh, with Blummer, it's the Blummer. one. It's been one year plus since the uh, Astro scandal. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure he's going to be thrilled to talk about that. <laughs> Man, these Astro guys, they're so tired of talking about this. But, yes, it's been one year. And Scott joins us now uh, from Chicago. Scott, how are you? Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, we're kind of sad because, you know, y- you're getting one heck of a, a, a human being. Liam Hendricks, you know, away from baseball is one of the best guys you're ever going to meet. And I think for – uh, the Chicago White Sox, a lot of their fans have to be pretty pleased with the deal that they have made for truly one of the best closers in the game of baseball. Yeah, that's the consensus opinion I've received from people, the number of people who have covered him and people who were covering him last year that I heard about. And I know his quotes about the White Sox after he, uh, was it Mazzaro was his last guy he struck out, I think, in game three of the wild card series and eliminated the Sox were, were pretty genuine, not the Lou Holtz, we got to really prepare for Navy, even though they're a minor, you know, a 38 point underdog, they're going to give us the best game of our life. This was like genuine, like, man, I'm impressed by that team. That team was really good and we beat them, you know? So you could tell you can, and I've read stories about him and heard great things about him. So yeah, he'll, he'll fit in well. It's a really good clubhouse. And I think that's one of the things that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf and strived strived for is that, you know, they're trying to get really good players who are really good fits in the clubhouse as well to build a really good you know, team going for the championship. Yeah, you take me back to the late 80s there. It would be hilarious. Lou Holtz, it's us against oh the Oh, my God. You're going to win Every by time. You're going to win by 40. What are you talking about? Yeah, it was usually before the game, right? It was usually like, you know, Notre Dame was minus 26, and he'd be like, well, man, this, this I've looked at this tape, and they might have the best offensive line I've ever seen, and, like, they were averaging 65 yards a game rushing or something like that. Hey, I, I'll – I'll preface it by saying I'm a Michigan grad and am not a Notre Dame fan at all, but those things always struck me as ridiculous. Like, I, I know he couldn't come out and say, well, geez, if we don't win this by 30, we're pretty bad. But he went overboard the other way, I think, at times. But in this case, 
Liam Hendricks' comments were kind of specific and spot on when he was talking about the team after they had eliminated him. And it, it sounded more than like a good luck to you type of concession speech while we move on, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I got to ask you, cause you know, we got to know him while he was here and he's, 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 uh, he's a hard guy to cover as a Michigan grad. How do you feel about Harbaugh and how do you feel about the extension? Wow. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I, I was talking about this with someone last night. I think that he had a, a 10 win season his first year. And then he started nine and oh, his second year. And they had a really good team that year. And they lost one of those, you know, tough Saturday night games at Iowa, who wasn't great. They lost like 13-11. Then the next week was the game against Ohio State, where Ohio State got the call on the fourth and inches in overtime, and they scored. And it just has all gone downhill since then. Now, again, not like downhill, like they're winning three games every year, but downhill where they can't beat Ohio State. They, you know, usually fall in the middle of the pack at like eight or nine win team. He had a really good recruiting class from the stuff I've read, so – you know, got to be hopeful that he can turn around. It was it was a weird year this year, just like you look at guys who struggled, at the, you know, like a Christian Yelich or a Javier Baez last year who struggled. And you realize that, yeah, I mean, you're not going to take away from the guys who played well, but that it was 60 games and in some cases less than 60 games, and these guys are going to bounce back. So, you know, I'm more focused on Juwan Howard right now and the greatness that he's forming in the basketball program in Michigan as opposed to uh, – what Jim Harbaugh is doing football wise over there, but you guys didn't know him. He did a re- real nice job at Stanford and even better job in with the 49ers. Right. Oh yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, he won a lot of football games and getting back to the white Sox, I, you know, sure. not, not, not only Liam Hendricks, but really everybody with the A's walked away from that series going, this is a, this is a potential sleeping giant. Like there's a lot right. of talent. Um, there's young talent. I mean, we, we all know how good a brave is, uh, but, just talk about going forward in a hundred, you know, hopefully we're going to play 162 games. That's a lot different than 60. How do you start looking at the American league central? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Hawk Harrelson, one of the all time broadcast greats the other day. And he, he made a comment that he thought if the Sox had Lance Lynn in the playoffs last year, they would have won the world series. Now, now that might've been a little exaggerated. I don't know if they were ready at that point, but, you know, I do think you look at that series, and this has taken nothing away from Dane Dunning, who's since been traded to Texas for Lance Lynn, and Dylan Cease, who's another great young pitcher. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of confidence in them going into game three of that series and ended up using nine relievers and then Garrett Crochet, their top pick, with such a great start, you know, in, in his appearances last year, got a little, got injured and had to leave the game early. So if they did have a little more a little st- steadier rotation or a little more confidence in their young guys going into that series, who knows what would have happened? Oakland was a very good team, but who knows what would have happened? So, yeah, there's a big jump to go from, you know, finishing one game out in 60 games. They've had a lot of good teams for 60 games in the 18 years I've covered them, only to fall short. So, it, you know, it's it's kind of a balance across the year, and I think they understand that. I think last year was a good start for them, and you talk to every player, especially the ones who have been there for a while and been there, you know, during the losing, whether it was in the minor leagues or just getting a taste in the majors. And they say it's a different feel, you know, even without Sox Fest this year, even with spring training, looking like it's going to start on time, but not completely certain. They feel like, you know, the rebuild is done. That ended last year when they made the playoffs. And, you know, there's been a lot of World Series or bus talk during this uh, offseason. So that's their target. In terms of the AL Central, you know, nothing's done yet. There's still plenty of time for all teams, including the White Sox, to make more additions. I, you know, I think to quote the uh, great Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? So you got to knock Minnesota off that top spot 
Cleveland still got really good pitching, even trading, you know, Carrasco and Lindor. And Detroit and Kansas City have some good young talent, but they're still, you know, years away from contending. So I still think it's a three-team race. But I think right now, if you're just asking me today, the White Sox are pretty, in my mind, pretty clear-cut favorite in the AL Central. Yeah, I just, I to, to me, with Cleveland, I mean, you think about Bauer gone, Clevenger gone, Lindor gone. They've got so much talent has left. It's just, I, I, and I know people keep, and you mentioned it, that the people think they can still win. It just, I, I have a hard time envisioning all that talent leaving and them really competing for the division against the White Sox and the Twins. Yeah, I mean, they've lost a lot, but I mean, think who they still have. You know, I mean, Bieber was pretty much hands down the best starting pitcher in baseball last year, right? I mean, Savali's pretty good, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, Plesak was excellent. Uh, they have Tristan McKenzie, who, you know, had a really good uh, start last year as a, as a very young pitcher for the Indians. And yeah, I'm sure they'll add maybe some other guys here and there. I mean, the offense took a hit without Lindor, although Lindor was, you know, in the games I watched was not Lindor of the past last year. And again, 60 game sample size, very tough to say, oh, he's changed just because of that, you know, and you still have Jose Ramirez in there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, people write them off and for some reason they still keep hanging in there, you know? So I think they have a team to be competitive for sure. Are they going to win the division? No, probably not. Not unless something really goes right or really goes wrong with the teams above them. But I, even with the guys they lost, they still have a pretty talented group there. As a guy who's been in this game a long time, how bizarre is it that in an offseason, the big players so far have been the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox? Well, I mean, you know, the Padres were made another good push like the White Sox last year, and they have some great guys in place there with, you know, just Machado and Tatis, some of the young starters they have. So you kind of had a feeling they were going to go for it. And the Sox, you know, also knew they were close. And, you know, Tony La Russa is the manager. Jerry Reinsdorf is very close with Tony La Russa. They're, he's spoken of him in articles I've done before, like a brother. So as people have said many times, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't bring Tony La Russa in to kind of just mind the store. You know, I mean, he brought him in to win championships. You know, let's say Tony La Russa is there three years. He's going to do all he can to win three championships. Not that he was selling Rick Renteria or Robin Ventura short, but, you know, it was different, different situations. Renteria up until last year was presiding over a rebuild. So you're not going to add big names, although they tried to go after Manny Machado a couple of seasons ago, but you're not going to add these kind of names because you're not trying to be a contender. You're trying to build the infrastructure, the kind of young core in your system. So I'm not surprised. I, I think, you know, the addition of Larusa, that impetus probably pushed them to go a little, a little deeper, but you know, I, I figured they would go for a closer. I, I will say this, that, you you know, having watched the game for a while, as you guys have too, you know, I nothing to me stunts the momentum of a good team than consistently losing late in games, you know. And, I, and consistently, I mean like three, four, five times. You know, there's nothing worse than going into the ninth, up 4-2, and then, you know, six batters later, you lost 5-4. And all of a sudden, you're like, how did that get away? You know, everyone else kind of did it. And I'm not taking anything away from Alex Kalman because Alex Kalman was really good. And I understand, you know, the great stat cast metrics we have that can, you know, go deeper behind the numbers. And to me, though, to say, well, you know, he's going to come back down to earth. They've been saying that for a while, and he's been really good as a closer. And he was really good at guaranteed rate field, which is a tough part, part to pitch in. But, you know, they went up and got that dominant closer in Liam Hendricks. They got a very solid reliever, maybe one of the best uh, starters, I'm sorry, in baseball in the last couple of years in Lance Lynn. 
So they've, you know, and then they added Adam Eaton to the outfield. So they've already strengthened the team in areas they needed help on. So it's not that surprising to me because both teams really see, you know, the, the kind of promised land uh, sooner than later. You know, Tony Larusa obviously has been on our show quite a bit. He's a friend of the program, and we're always rooting for him. And last week we had Dave Stewart on, and Stu and Tony are tight. And I was like, Stu, everybody's acting like he's old. He's not going to be able to relate. I'm like, if you go back to the late 80s and early 90s, Tony LaRussa managed the biggest egos we've ever seen in Ricky Henderson right. and Jose Canseco and Dave Parker and Dennis Eckersley. It's like, I just, I, I just, I was kind of shocked when people went, Oh, how's he going to relate to players? I'm like, Tony's not going there to be the old man. Tony's going there to win. And he's, he's, he's going, he's going to relate to these players. He understands how to manage egos. How do you see it? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any really big egos on that White Sox team right now. Anyways, I think this is a team that remember one of the benefits of rebuilds is that, you know, you develop them together, you let the players learn, you know, lose together and then they learn to win together. And that's what you have. So guys like, Abreu, Giolito, Anderson, Bummer, uh, missing, you know, Moncada, Jimenez, Robert, not so much because he just came up last year, but all these guys have been together for a little bit and are, you know, ready. You know, last year they just didn't want to lose anymore. That was the bottom line and they made that happen. They finished 35 and 25. Yeah, I, you know, I think the biggest question on Tony was in terms of just baseball stuff was just that, you know, he had not managed since 2011. And although he was in the game pretty much, you know, right until he got hired by the White Sox. But I think, you know, listening to Rick Hahn talk the day that they let go of Rick Renteria, it didn't, it didn't, what he was talking about didn't sound like Tony LaRusso, it sounded more like A.J. Hinch. So I think that, or, you know, Alex Cora. So I think it kind of caught people by surprise. But yeah, it sounds like, you know, he's, he's, he's got a really good staff, you know, under him. And I know they really like uh, the young pitching coach, Ethan Katz, who worked out in San Francisco, right? And they, uh, we talked to Shelly Duncan yesterday. There's a really astute baseball guy. Miguel Cairo is the bench coach. And, you know, they have some guys back from last year in terms of Daryl Boston and Joe McEwing and Kurt Hasser. So it's a good mix. And yeah, I think he'll do fine. I, you know, you don't forget baseball. And as Shelly Duncan talked about is that, you know, his dad and Tony LaRusso were kind of doing, you know, metric type work before there were metrics. And he joked that, you know, Dave Duncan said, you know, he's got to, he had to keep track of his own stats. There was nowhere to, you know, look up stats and find, you know, pitcher spin rate or something like that. He had to keep a bit track of his own stuff. So Tony LaRusso will be, will be fine in terms of handling that team. I think it, it, it caught a lot of people off guard, but, you know, that's the guy Jerry Reinsdorf wanted in, in manager, and Jerry Reinsdorf runs the team, and that's the guy who's going to be leading them now. And, you know, let's not overlook the fact the man is a Hall of Famer who won three World Series and ranks third or basically second all-time in victories, right? And soon will be, you know, either one or two, depending on how you look at the standings or, you know, the, the list of manager victories. So it's a damn good manager coming in, although he is, you know, a little bit older. He's 76 and has been out of the dugout for nine for 10 years now, right? Let's end on this. Uh, in Chicago, okay. I, I, I'm sure White Sox fans are ecstatic, can't wait for the season. But what's it like Absolutely. for the Cubs? What, I mean, the Cubs, are, is it a retool? Is it, what, 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 what's, what is going to happen with, uh, as, as they like to say, the Northsiders? I don't think anyone really knows completely at this point because they traded Darvish and that was kind of, I think a look at that just my take that you could win the division with Darvish, but you probably weren't, he wasn't going to be there when you contended for the world series. You probably were, even if you had him and Hendricks at the top of that rotation, you probably weren't going to win the world series. So they traded him and got some young guys who were, you know, 
not real along with Davies who are not really close to the majors, but can kind of help you, you know, uh, in the, in the near, not near future, but in the future to, you know, it could be high end guys if they pan out. So I think we'll see over the next, you know, month, two months, what, what they do with Contreras, what they do with Brian, I guess what they do with Rizzo, you know, that sort of thing. But I mean, they, you know, if you look at the run they had, they had a really good run where they LCS and, 15, 16, 17, won the World Series in 16, and then they struggled. Their offense kind of, you know, took a turn, and they struggled those last couple years. You know, they made the playoffs last year, and I think scored one run in the two losses to the Marlins. So it was time for a change. But, you know, everyone talks about, Rick Hans mentioned this, is, I don't know if it's a catch line, but kind of the, the hook line for the rebuild in that talk to me after multiple championships. And, boy, that's great to say, and that's the goal you should have. But, you know, the last team to win back-to-back in the American League is the Yankees back in what was it uh 98 99 2000 right and the last team to win back-to-back in the national league if you don't count the giants you know three world series in, in, in what five six years was the big red machine so it's not easy to repeat so i think they did the cubs did what they could maybe tailed off a little at the end to disappoint some but you know now it's time to kind of take a step back and you know in that division though 84 85 wins may get you in the playoffs and then you kind of take your chances from there Hey, great stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, let, let's talk again during spring training. Sure. Anytime. Look forward to uh, talking to Liam Hendricks some point in the near future about, about the new team here. Yeah, you're going to love him. He's such a great guy. Excellent. Thanks Take for having care. me. Be safe. Okay. Thank you. Scott Merkin from MLB.com. See, I, I, I look at that, Cody, and I say, man. The big players in this offseason are the White Sox and the Padres. But then again, you know what? If you if you think about it, at one point, two of the richest contracts ever given to players were given to Giancarlo Stanton, Marlins, and Manny Machado, the Padres. So you just never know who's got the money, who's going to spend it. But the White Sox have been trying to be players, and they're and they're they're going to be tough to beat. They're a good team, and Tony Larusa. I just the whole thing when people are like he's too old. I'm like, come on, man. You think like people be like, oh, Tony's going to go there and he's going to fight with the players? No, he's not. He's going there to win. You're you you need to have the relationship with your players. The players are the ones who win games. And like we talked with Dave Stewart, think of the egos he's managed over here. Think of the things he's managed through. The home run race with McGuire and Sosa. World Series. You think Ricky Henderson and Jose Canseco were easy to deal with on a daily basis? And I never even thought about it, but it was Dave Stewart who said, oh, don't forget about Dave Parker. <laughs> you want to talk about a big ego? Tony's going to be fine. I'm not buying Cleveland, Cody. I'm not buying it. Sorry. I, I know there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, excuse the uh, punditry here, but there's a lot of believers out there. And uh, oh. Shane Bieber and the, and the Indians, I, I'm with you. Don't get me wrong. I like Jose Ramirez. I like Bieber a lot. I like uh, Plesac's nephew when he's not violating COVID protocols. They still have a great manager in Terry Francona. 
They have the Franimal still, Franimal Reyes, but yeah, they're not. They can compete with, like, this is the White Sox lineup, and I'm not even looking at anything. Their catcher is Grundahl. First baseman's the AL MVP, Jose Abreu. Their second baseman is Nick Madrigal, who doesn't strike out. Their shortstop is the former batting champion, uh, Tim Anderson. Third base is Johan Moncada, who battled COVID last year, and he's one of the uber prospects in baseball. You got Eaton and Wright, Luis Robert, or Robert as you call him, in center, and uh, Eloy Jimenez in left. And the rotation, the top end of the rotation is Giolito, Keuchel, and Lance Lynn. That's really, that's a very talented team. And then their bullpen with Liam and, and Foster and Hauer and Jimmy Cordero and Bummer and Fry. I mean, they got so many got Kopech, they, uh, Crochet. They are, they, we've been hearing about them building for this for years, and it's finally here that the White Sox are, you know, they're trying to take claim of Chicago. The Southsiders want to overtake the Northsiders. And uh, I think this is their time because we have no idea what what the uh, what the Cubs are doing. We just saw Theo today join the uh, commissioner's office, so he's not there anymore. Um, Darvish is gone. There's been talks. Our good friend Craig Mish down in Miami saying how the Marlins have had talks with the Cubs about Wilson Contreras, so he could mo- potentially be moved. Chris Bryant. Uh, this is Chicago's time to strike in Chicago right now. Hey, do you have, do you have, do you have, do you have the audio up of Theo at his farewell presser? Uh, yes, I do. You know, clearly. It, go ahead. Okay. And this is well documented, but just the, the, the quality of on-field play. It is the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And um, I take some responsibility for that, right? Because the executives like me who have spent a lot of time using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual and team performance have unwittingly had you know a, a negative impact on on the the aesthetic value of the game and the entertainment value of the game in some respects i mean clearly you know the strikeout rate's a little bit out of control and we need to find a way to get more more action in the game get the ball in play more often uh, allow players to show their athleticism some more and get, give give the fans more of what they want and and you know maybe there's a way to to do that through changes over time and to to put the game back in the hands of the players and let them do their thing on the field. And, and, and I think that's the best way to give the fans more of, of what they want. So the game changes whether you're intentional about it or not. We've had this incredible rise in strikeout rate and three true outcomes and, and uh, you know, starters are not going as deep in games. Relievers, you know, the one-ending reliever and the, the increase of uh, the number of relievers on rosters has led uh, and the incredible increase in stuff and velocity and movement have led to this strikeout rate that's impacting the game. So maybe there's ways to get that under control a little bit. Bravo. That's music to my ears. I'm so glad he's joining the commissioner's office. And he's right. He's he's one of the he's one of the guys that created this brand of baseball. You gotta remember front office people are paid to do one thing. That's win games. Now, with some of the front offices, you wouldn't know that. But, you know, they're they're promising of a greater future. But as a manager, as a, your job is to win. And if this is the best way to win, you like Bob Melvin, he doesn't care how long the game takes. He cares about winning the game. If it's got to take four hours, it's going to take four hours. But I bravo by the commissioner's office. 
You know, Rob Manfred, friend of the program. I got a lot of respect for him. And we've had him on now a couple times. And I have a lot of respect because he understands things need to change. He's not standing there going, ah, this is our game and we're not changing. And we played like this for all these years. Manfred understands rules. Some rules need to be changed. Things need to change. Game's got to get faster. We need to showcase these great athletes. And I think hiring Theo is just hearing that and having him bring that perspective where he can come in and say, listen, I took down the two greatest curses of all time. Think about that. The curse of the Bambino and the curse of the goat. Theo, Theo's going to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question. He led the Red Sox and the Cubs, who both had won in forever. Generations of people died and never saw the Red Sox or Cubs win a World Series. He did. Both organizations. And allow him to come in and have a very, very strong voice. There's nothing wrong with change. Every business changes. Every business changes. What business says, nope, we're going to do it the same way we did it and whatever. So I, uh, I think it's going to be good for the sport. Also good for the sport. Blummer, how are you? I'm good, Tony. How you doing, man? We were just we 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 just played the uh, the clip from where Theo Epstein talked about how the game needs to change, and he goes, "Hey, it's kind of my fault with all the analytics and all the strikeouts and the three two outcomes." I I, I think it's going to be good for our sport to have a guy who's one understands the game to really join the commissioner's office and start to tweak things in baseball. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know what, Theo snapped, and I and I think it's kind of good. You know, I, I think we all kind of got to that point. And maybe the tipping point was actually when Blake Snell is basically throwing a, a, a phenomenal game in game six against the Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series. And we see Kevin Cash pop his head out after he's faced 18 hitters. I don't think anybody in baseball really wanted to see that at that moment. Whether you're a purist or you're an analytic guy, you wanted to see how far he could go in a crucial moment. And I also think that, you know, Theo may have touched on something where he, you know, the analytics are very, very useful during a regular season, but in the postseason, they're not going to win you championships. Yeah. And, and, and to bring a, a fresh perspective, cause I'm glad he's not, cause there was talk like he'd do politics or I'm glad that he, you know, he's staying mm-hmm. baseball because he's a, uh, he, he, he is a smart guy, by the way, Cody is, is so worried about you because you, you've got the battle of Cal quarterbacks this, the, the, going on here. Golf against Rogers. Like, how, 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 how does that feel for you? How do, where do you go there? Who do you root for? Well, first of all, how about Cal turning into quarterback you? I, I think that's what's kind of kind of cool about the whole thing. But I also think it's great that, you know, there's there's such an underlying and unspoken, you know, love for, for Cal by all the alumni that I think that they're really relishing in the fact that they are, you know, you've got the old guard in Aaron Rodgers, and then you have the new guard in Jared Goff going out there. And Goff has had his ups and downs, whereas, you know, uh, Rodgers has had his his run and maybe one of his best seasons ever here in 2020, and he's got a chance to go to the Super Bowl again. So 
I think it's kind of fun in the sense that we can all kind of reminisce about our years. You know, I, I was in the Mike Pulowski, you know, uh, yeah. era with those guys. And, uh, you know, now we get to talk about, uh, you know, Rogers and Goff going at it. So I think it's nothing but positive for the blue and gold. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's old versus new. Who's going to take it? I did arena league football with Mike back in the day. No way. Yeah. I mean, he's a great guy. Um, yeah, he is. How, yeah, that was a great time. I mean, how, I mean, just watching this weekend and it's like Drew Brees is 42 years old and Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom it was, Brady, yeah. It's like, like these guys have these guys have been playing football for so long. It's crazy. Well, it's 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 a lot of fun, I think, to kind of see you know the Jared Goffs, uh, you know, and some of these young, other younger quarterbacks, you know, Lamar Jackson. I mean, all these guys are coming back and they're playing extremely well, and you get a chance to see where the sport is going for the NFL. So I think it's kind of exciting if you're the commissioner to actually see guys like Breeze and Brady kind of trying to finish out their careers in a playoff situation as opposed to just kind of riding off into the sunset after a mediocre year. These guys are still performing in it, and that's what probably makes their decision tough. Do they stay or do they retire, you know, because they're still playing extremely good football on good teams. You know, you're a Chicago White Sox hero, so I know that that organization means a lot to you, and Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks – uh, how do you feel about your White Sox? They're going for it. Man, they absolutely are. You know, the only thing you could really argue is maybe the uh, the, the Tony La Russa hire. How does that fit into the situation? And I think only the regular season is going to, you know, show uh, maybe the value of having a Tony La Russa on a team like that. But Rick Hahn has put together a phenomenal team, and he's kind of followed that that idea of drafting well, getting some good international free agents signed. Uh, developing them, getting them to the big leagues, and then adding, you know, some veteran arms with a Liam Hendricks and a Lance Lynn, a Dallas Keuchel. And then you've got guys, Monty Grandal behind the home, behind home plate, kind of settling down that pitching staff and that bullpen. But, man, oh, man, they are one of the more talented, more fun teams to watch. I can't wait to see what they do, and I've got high expectations for them. Because you guys know you've got to watch Liam Hendricks for, you know, 162 games or 60 games a year and see what he's done in the last two years. That guy was a coveted free agent, I think, in the offseason by a lot of teams that want to go out there and win a championship. And if the starting pitching holds up for the White Sox, Liam Hendricks is going to lead the league in saves. And how about, and, and, you know, as, because we, being a two team market, you know, we have our battles with the Giants. I just got to think as a White Sox fan, I mean, we really have no clue what the Cubs are going to be like. So, I mean, you could, I mean, the White Sox could be owned in Chicago. Yeah, I think, I, you know what, it's actually kind of interesting that you bring that up because it might have been, you know, that might, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf likes the attention and that's why he, he's owned the Bulls forever. That's why, you know, he's still uh, trying to create these championship teams and, he, and he's very, he's very affectionate towards the south side of Chicago and, he, and, you know, the attention that the north side gets with the Chicago Cubs has been for so many years and I really think he kind of seized on an opportunity he saw with Theo leaving and some of the some of the uh you know roster moves that they've made and the trade of you Darvish you know maybe he saw the opportunity to say hey let's go out there and try and earn this town back in, in our good favor and they've got the talent to do it now you know looking at this season going you know we're, we're hoping what Bob Nightingale from the USA Today, what he reported is true, that we're going to start spring training on time and we're going to have a 162 games. You know, speaking of last year, I've been trying to explain that in a, in a, in a six-month season, 
your warts get exposed. You get exposed your weaknesses. You can kind of ham and egg it for 60 games, which I think some teams did. Like the Rays having, you know, 12, 12, 12 different guys had saves, and then then another guy got it. They had 13 overall. Like, I don't think you can do that in a full season. Just talk about the difference of what you saw last year in 60 games versus, versus what you've played in and you know about 162. No, I completely agree because every team that has gone out there and built a team has built it for 162 games for the long haul. And I think that's where, you know, the Dodgers really showed up. And when you have that, that veteran ball club, they understand how to play 162 games. And then all of a sudden you take 102 games off that and they put the, they put the pedal down that much harder and that much quicker and try and go a little bit faster. And they were able to, but I also think we kind of saw how depth comes into play because the Dodgers have just enough depth in their pitching staff to, you know, to cover a hiccup by Clayton Kershaw with Dustin May, or maybe you have a couple of spot guys overachieve in a 60 game season where you can put them in a lineup and let them go. But these guys, it was amazing to me throughout all of sport, you know, the NBA, the NFL, well, it's hard to see what the NFL is going to do, but, you know, the NBA, the Lakers ran with it. They were a number one seed. Alabama and the NCAA, you know, was the number one seed, and they went out and won it. Tampa Bay Lightning and the NHL went out and won it. So it was kind of the year of the number ones that were going out there. So the expectation was in these condensed seasons that you had enough talent to explode and go out there and win a championship. And I agree with you in the sense where, you know, I think the Tampa Bay Rays have good talent, but I think they overachieved in a, in a short term. When you have 162 games, you have time as an opposing team to adjust and, and try and find the weaknesses of a team where there wasn't enough time in a 60-game season to figure out what was wrong with the Rays and exploit that. And they just kind of ran with it until they got to the World Series and uh, eventually got beat by the best team in baseball. But, yeah, I agree. In a 60-game season, you have a lot better opportunity to kind of smooth over some of those cracks in your uh, lineups or in your roster. Well, obviously the Astros were one of those number one teams, you know, with all the playoff success and winning the World Series. But now it seems like there's a lot of question marks. Like we know Verlander, Tommy John, uh, with the free, Springer, Reddick, Ozuna. You got all the like. Where are the Astros right now? Right now, so in the past, with the past five years, we have said who's going to contend. You know, the conversation around the Astros is they will contend for the World Series. And I think that's kind of shifted a little bit in this offseason. And again, there's uncertainty with, you know, the, the market uh, that, that's out there for free agency and, and the, the CBA's coming up, the COVID, how many games are we going to play? So there's you know, a little bit of a stalemate as far as free agents. But I think right now, as we talk about, I think people are talking about the Astros will be competitive in the American League West. You know, do they have enough to win the West? You know, the Mariners are up and coming. You know, the Oakland A's, how are the A's going to fill some of their spots that they have in their in the back end of their bullpen uh, at shortstop? They always have good hitters and good talent. And then the Angels, are the Angels going to make an adjustment? So I think it's safe to say right now that we are, you know, that in Houston they are talking about competing for the American League West division title, but not necessarily getting deep into the playoffs until they make you know, some big moves to cover up the back end of their bullpen or maybe add another free agent bat. You know, I mean, it, it, I, 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 I know you guys have gotten tired of talking about it, but, you know, we're, we're hitting that anniversary of the, of the scandal. The scandal. <laughs> what could you possibly be talking about? <laughs> and I was like, for like, George Springer, 
I mean, for him, if he signs somewhere else, it's like just to get away from this. I mean, because I don't know. I, I know how our fans feel about it still to this day. Once we mm-hmm. get fans back in the ballpark, it's don't you think it's going to be a whole different ball game for, for the Astros? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. They kind of skirted the whole issue by playing in front of no fans in 2020 where there was going to be obvious vitriol. And, you know, to be brutally honest, the only gauge we have right now is social media, unfortunately. And there's a lot of uh, still vitriol lingering out there. And I think that uh, until fans get out there and are able to voice their opinion in person, it's going to hang over the Astros a little bit. And I, I was, I'm always kind of curious, you know, how does that affect free agency? How does it affect a guy that wants to come back here and say that he, he you know, he's going to be an Astro for his entire career? Does that affect what George thinks? Because George has had a couple of small opportunities to see what guys have done away from Houston and how they're treated. And I think you're right in the sense that they have been treated a little more favorably outside of the uniform. Uh, A.J. Hinch is probably the most notable one. You know, he was, he was what, you know, oh, two weeks into free agency for him after the World Series, and he's signing with the Detroit Tigers as a manager. And everybody's, you know, there were some some comments made, but at the same time, I think Detroit knows they're getting a quality manager in A.J. Hinch. And at the same time, if somebody signs George, he's got a long enough track record without the sign stealing to say, hey, we've got a pretty good product, and now he's ours, and we're going to treat him as ours. What do you think it's like right now to be a free agent? As we've been talking on the show, there's like over 270 free agents out there. I mean, Blummer, it's 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 January 14th, and you, we got a lot of guys who don't have jobs. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about how Rob Manfred had said that they're going to start on time, they're going to have a full spring, full season, and I think there might be some free agents in that group that might be saying, hey, that sounds great and all, but if we could push this thing back maybe a month, it'll give us another opportunity to maybe determine what the season's going to be and give me another, you know, 30 days to go out there and figure out which ball club I'm going to fit into so that I can get myself a job and be prepared to go out there and produce. Because if I'm a free agent right now, I mean, the fact that we're not seeing some of the top tier guys uh, in contract negotiations, you know, the George Springers and the Justin Turners and guys like this, it worries me a little bit and I would be a little bit scared about what's going on right now because I don't think that these, the reason we're not hearing rumors is because these guys aren't getting to numbers or years that they feel that they're comfortable signing with after the years they put up to go out there and earn the right to make big money in the free agent market. It's frightening. Would you do a one-year deal and, and wait for the game to kind of reset? I mean, like, how would you handle it? Well, my talent would dictate the one-year deal, but if I was one, if I was one of those guys, you know, if I was one of those guys, I think I would try and you know temper my expectations a little bit. And instead of, I don't know what how many years they're asking for, for but let's just use an example of seven years. If I wanted a seven-year deal, uh, I think you might temper that a little bit and say, okay, can I handle a five? Can I handle a four-year deal? And try and maximize my annual earning, you know, in a brief amount of time, and then once. COVID ends, once a new CBA contract is, is signed, then we have an idea of what we're, we do have moving forward and where I can set my market later on, because there's got to be, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of confidence in yourself that you're going to continue to be good enough to go out there and garner the money. But at the same time, you know, you've, it's such a small earning window in baseball or in professional sports period that these guys have the desire to maximize. So maybe they cut back on the year up the annual value to make it appealing for both sides. 
So everybody has been doing something during COVID, you know, changing things <laughs> in your life. What's the number one thing you've been doing during COVID? Man, that's a great question. And you, well, I, I survived. I think the funniest thing that I talked about, like within our industry, you know, uh, you know, divorce rates or relationships with your wife, you know, this is the first like full calendar year I've spent in the, in my house with my wife and four kids. So the fact that I accomplished that and they still want me to come back and they haven't changed the locks is kind of, is kind of a big deal for me. But uh, at the same time, I have never been a more avid TV watcher in my life. And maybe, maybe the, uh, I don't know, I don't want this to sound bad, but uh, my alcohol consumption is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've achieved a new foundation in that in that realm. So two days ago, I played golf with uh, two of the Southern Wine and Spirits guys, and they told Ooh. me how they got re- they got record sales going right now, like <laughs> record sales. And I, I don't I don't doubt that for a minute. And but and, and I think for someone like you, like your entire adult life, you've been on a plane. I mean, think about yes. going to you played in the American League, you played in the National League, you, you, you know, even as a broadcast back in the day when you're living in Southern California, you did all the Astros road games. What's it like for you not to go to an airport, not to be on a plane? It's actually kind of nice, to be honest with you. And, I, and what's funny is, you know, we get spoiled rotten because we don't have to travel with the GP when we're when we're with the ball club. You know, it's pretty nice. You get a chartered flight. You're the only ones on it. The security is pretty minimal. Uh, you know, you get bussed right to the front door of the hotel and you're staying in these five-star hotels. Um, you know, I do miss that part in visiting some of these cities, but at the same time, dude, I do not miss, I don't miss that West coast, you know, that West coast four o'clock game in, in Oakland that ends up being 13 innings, a grind. And then we got to get on a plane and head to, you know what, Chicago or head to Minnesota and and try and, you know, call call a game or play a game the next day. That's what I don't miss. It was actually kind of nice going to the studio, coming back and sitting and sleeping in my own bed and trying to create that kind of routine. But uh, yeah, I, I, I miss the flights, but I don't miss the flights, if you know what I mean. Totally. You know what I don't miss, you know, traveling with, with, with the ball club? Or like with the Raiders is like when you get back to the hotel and you can't remember what your what what your <laughs> dude is that not the worst feeling? You're like well, I don't even I what room you know we we've been in three cities we've been in it's been ten days I don't yeah. even, it's crazy and and you turn into a robot too because you're you know you're 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 half tired from the travel you're half tired from the game. You've got the chaos of everybody on the bus getting on the elevator, and then all of a sudden the door starts opening, and you're going, "Yeah, I don't know what floor I'm on," you know. <laughs> and you got to do that walk. You got to do that, you know, the the, uh, the man version of the walk of shame back to the hotel, going, "Yeah, I don't know what room I'm in. Could you help me out?" <laughs> I know that is brutal. Hey, man, it's great to hear your voice. I'm glad everybody's safe and you guys are doing well. And uh, let's talk when we get to spring training and hopefully we get this thing started on time. Absolutely. That, that was, those are the conversations I'm looking forward to. And you know what? Uh, missing out on the travel as we talk about it is missing out on seeing a lot of the friendly faces and the good conversations, uh, you know, that we've created over the years. And uh, I, I miss me some Bay Area. You know that. Yeah, you're the best. Go Bears. <laughs> 
believe it. Have a good week. Take care, buddy. That's one of the good guys in our game. Like Jeff Blum is, is you know, I, I got to meet him years ago through Roxy. You call him Alan. I call him Roxy Bernstein. And, you know, I've had him on for years, and he's just a super guy. And has had great success now as a broadcaster. He was living in Southern California, and he was only doing the Astros road games. And then they wanted him full time. So he had to move his family to uh, Houston. But he's a he's fantastic at what he does. And I, I just I appreciate him a lot. He's a really he, he's he's a great individual. And he's he, I mean, Cody, you got to admit, he's been good to us for years. Yeah, I've always enjoyed him. World Series hero. He has a good sense of humor. Um, you guys were supposed to party together in Houston. What was that like a year and a half ago? Uh, he's got a statue. He's got a statue. Yeah. the the next The next question is: Which player? Which current White Sox has a new uh, replaces Jeff Blum? Uh, if you had to pick one guy, who who would you think would replaces his statue? It's a good call. Uh, I I don't I don't disagree with that at all. I think Abreu is going to be known as Mister White Sox. How old is he? Thirty. I want to say he's like thirty-two. Let me pull. So up he's still he's still got. He 30. came over from he came over from Cuba at how old? Uh, his major league debut. He was twenty-seven. He's actually going to be thirty-four at the end of this month. Uh, one hundred ninety-eight career homers, six hundred seventy-one career RBIs, a two ninety-four career hitter. Um, he's played in. At least 150 games, one, two, three, four out of the possible you know years he's been in the league, seven, and you don't count the 60 game season. So he's pretty durable. Uh, MVP. He's basically driven in 100 runs every year he's been in the league. Uh, every year, but uh, essentially every year but one. Uh, 2018, he only dro- drove in 78, but he only played in 128 games. Yeah, because he's MVPs, rookie of the year. You know, he, he, you know, you know what he, he, what's going to end up being his problem is that he wasn't able to get over here until he was, as you said, what twenty seven. Yeah, he debuted at the age of twenty seven. Oh, he didn't get he didn't get those twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty. He didn't get those years, and that's how you accumulate. But I mean, as long as as long as you keep your legs and your hand eye coordination, they love him. I mean, you know, if you can age well. He could get that over a thousand RBIs, and he, I mean, he could at least be in the conversation. Yeah, he'll get Thanks to he'll get to at least um, I would say probably at least a thousand RBIs, at least three hundred home runs. So he's at one ninety eight, I think, in his career. And uh, if you think he started at twenty seven years old, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, twenty fourteen was his first year in the league. Um, he has less home runs in his career than uh, Mike Trout does, but he also Mike Trout's also played more years, but. Abreu's what's his, what's 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 his career OPS? His career OPS is eight seventy, so that's pretty good. Uh, OPS yeah. plus is one thirty six, so that's thirty six above league average, which is a hundred. Yeah, that's a career twenty four WAR already. So I mean, that's not bad in seven years. So ask me the question again: Who's the next Jeff Blum getting a statue? <laughs> yeah, who who, who replaces Blumer's statue in Chicago? I I think I'm with him. You know. Tim Anderson's a good ball player. They got some Moncada. They got some good play. I, I think I'm going to go with Jose Abreu. All right, I'm going to text them right now. Tommy says they're going to demolish your statue and put Abreu in your, play, <laughs> in, in your place. 
Oh God, you know these guys are tough, and that's why you know I I I, I kind of feel bad, but we had to bring it up. But you know these guys are these guys are so over talking about the scandal. They're over it, like, and I understand. Can you imagine if we had to deal with that? Can you imagine every single time I went on some radio station around the country, they'd be like, "Hey, when the A's are doing that," I'd be like, "Oh God, here we go again." Because as a broadcaster, you have nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's 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 a terrible thing. And then you look at it a year later, you know, Luno's not in baseball anymore, and AJ Hinch is managing another team already. So. Cora's already got a job. Yeah, again. Cora has another job. I mean, Beltran's the only guy that doesn't have a job. I mean, besides Luno, because I don't think he's coming back to baseball. But Beltran went down as uh, he had the best record in the history of the Mets. He never won a game, never lost a game. The thing about Beltran is he made over two hundred million in his career, so he's going to be just fine. You know the. Um, I want to see the hypocrisy with uh, voters when he comes up for the Hall of Fame, because of how his career potentially ended with. Him helping with the cheating scandal. Do you, you vote him in knowing that he helped the team? You know, he was a guy allegedly that helped the team cheat. So that's going to be – he has the numbers as a switch hitter. He has solid numbers as a switch hitter. Those years in – that year he came to Houston when he just took over and helped them get to the – when they went to the World Series against Blummer's White Sox. Uh, and then he went to the Mets. He was good for the Mets. He was good for the Royals. He was good for the Yankees. Yeah, he's got uh, 435 jacks, 1,587 RBIs. He's got a career 837 OPS, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, I think eight All-Star games. I Yeah, I mean, 20 years in the league. And you just look at his career stats and you go, I'm – if I had a vote, I'm voting for this guy. Yeah, and he's at, uh, what is it? I think I just looked, 75 career war, 70 career war. So he's yeah. at that threshold of, you know, we, we say 60 is the number. He's 10 above that. Uh, and it's, and he's a switch hitter. So He's a, mon- he's a monster in the postseason. Yeah, he, look, at that, look at that year for Houston. What was that, 05? It was unbelievable. Yeah, he, he, had over a, 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 he had over a 1,000 OPS in postseason history. Played in sixty-five games. Sorry, oh four. That that was the Astros. They went to the World Series. I think the next year with him. Yeah, with he had eight, he had eight home runs in two different series. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's unbelievable. And then he never did that again. He hit three the next time with the Mets, and then when he was there with the Cardinals uh, in 2012-2013, he had a total of one in two years. And then with the Yankees, he hit none. But that first that you know those first two series, he hit eight. With the Astros. Then he signs that huge deal with the Mets. I just, I, yay or nay, if you had a vote, you voting for him? Yes, I am. I'm voting for him, but then again, you have to look at the character clause because uh, in the integrity, he, he might have, you know, hurt the integrity of the game by helping a team cheat. I'm not going to be shocked if, if, if people pull that. Oh, no, they will. Totally. I totally think it's going to happen. I'm foreshadowing it for everyone now because he's eligible for the Hall of Fame. When was his last year? 2017. So he'd be eligible for the Hall of Fame. Would he be on the ballot next year? One, two, three. Yeah, I think 2022 would be his first year on the ballot. Coming up next, the great Ray Fossey right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, 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 it's a Thursday. That means Ray Fossey Day. Hit it, Coach. (laughs) 
Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ah, the face is with us. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing great, Tony. Listen, I want to know what the spin rate at the Walnut Creek uh, Chicken Pie Shop is uh, on your main entree. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're doing takeout, so you can get takeout uh, from the Chicken Pie Shop at Walnut Creek. You can get cocktails too. So everybody, support the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. And uh, I have no idea. Scott Emerson was on talking about gyro spin rate, Ray. <laughs> I, I got no idea what that means. I just heard that. That's the reason I, I'll go with the spin rate because that's uh, at least maybe be, try to figure it out. The gyro, never heard of that. So, uh, no, let, let's get back to some normalcy. And, you know, Theo Epstein, I thought, was uh, was great in what he was talking about. Because, you know what, uh, the, the Blake Snell fiasco, say what you want, that was absurd. You know, to take him out in the sixth inning of, of, a, of a do or die game. And, you know, just because of what goes on supposedly analytically. Uh, and, and again, I know there are a lot of people out there. Shelly Duncan sounds like, uh, you know, Tony Russa was talking about him. Not surprised that he's with the White Sox and how he has uh, kind of embraced the analytics and become very good in that department. But, you know, there's sometimes you have to go with your gut. You know, the one thing that I remember, uh, the great Gordon Lake, the scout for the uh, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, uh, really good friend and, but I remembered, and, and I think Jeff Blum said it best, that while analytics might work well during the season, what Je- um, A.J. Hinch did in 2017, and say what you want about you know, how, how they did it, but he kind of threw all the analytics out the window. I mean, he had starters in the bullpen. He did a lot of things that went against what the uh, analytics said. And Gordon, like he said, it probably was the best managerial job that he had seen considering all the moves that he made uh, changing what they were supposed to do basically because of the analytics. You know, I think about all the great pitchers you caught. I mean, Hall of Famers. I mean, you start talking about Catfish. You start, I mean, you just go down the line. Dennis Eckersley. I, I mean, you, you caught some of the great, like, just without analytics, you knew. You know, when you're catching that spitball, like, you knew you're dealing with great, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it was a spit. It was it was vastly her KY jelly. But any, but anyway, <laughs> but you know what? I, I still and I, I I tell these these players today, and uh, you know Gaylord Perry in 1972. You know people can can however they want to get the information. Baseball Reference has it. He I mean, 342 innings. As, as I've said before, that's two seasons in today's world. 342 wins, 29 complete games, a sub, what, two ERA. Uh, you know, I'm not coming out of the game because I'm better than the guy in the bullpen. You know, you, could, you if you're trying to manage somebody like that or even Catfish or Eck when he was starting, uh, I mean, remember Eck came within maybe an inning of the co- most consecutive hitless innings I think it was um, maybe Cy Young had had the most, and he lost it uh, when I called a bad fastball to Rupert Jones in Seattle. And in 77, he had home runs ended. But, I mean, Eck was great. And, and you're not going to take somebody out. 12 innings, no big deal. But uh, th- that's why I thought 
uh, it, it was bad. And, and again, analytics are good, but still, I think, and I've always thought that analytics apply to things that have happened in the past. Now, with the spin rate and gyro, whatever the spin that is, but if you're looking at shifts and you're looking at the way guys hit the ball, that information really is based on what has already happened. And as again, I, I will always contend that does my pitcher, can he pitch to the shift so that the hitter hits into the shift? If not, what good are analytics? Because again, I remember the great Rene Latchman. I mean, he started all this before anybody ever thought about it because he had a binder about eight inches thick about every ball that was hit by every hitter that the A's played against, especially in those late 80 years with uh, 80 years with uh, Tony Russo managing. I mean, he had them all down and you could play kind of getting some familiarity as far as what a player is going to do. But I, I think today it, it's a little bit different because um, I, I just think that every pitcher is different and every hitter is different. And the more hitters get to the point where they see the shift and they say, okay, I may hit 40 home runs a year, but this calls for base hit to the opposite field and go ahead and run. Forget about the launch angle. Forget about the, the home run and all the other things. I'm going to take my base hit with a shift to the left side or the right side, and I'm going to take a base hit and drive in the go-ahead run and help my team win a ball game. I'm looking. Gaylord Perry threw at least 300 innings in six <laughs> different seasons. Then he, had, then, then he had other seasons, Ray. I know. Like 293, 290, and two-thirds. I mean, the amount of innings, Gaylord Perry threw 5,350 innings. That's insane. Tony, that's a four-man rotation, too. That's not five. That's not an extra day breath. That's four-man rotation. And, you know, he would take ground balls at shortstop to stay in shape. I mean, he, he, would, he would do a lot of things. But, you know, there, there's no doubt that Gaylord Perry was a competitor. And you don't do what he did throughout all those innings and amassing – 300 plus victories and and say what you want you know he was a great pitcher without the so-called specialty pitch you know that 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 got into hitters minds more than anything because i was back there when they would start talking about it and i said I, you're done you're <laughs> you're thinking about it you're done you're done man you know because you know as a pitcher that if you can get somebody thinking about something they're done and and that's what gaylord did a lot but uh, fantastic pitcher and speaking of pitchers i liked you and cody cody how you doing buddy I'm good, Ray. How are you? I wanted to point this out. I'm glad you asked me to, to ask how I was doing because Gaylord Perry, in, uh, those innings that he had in 1972 that you, you alluded to, the 342, I'm going to scoff at those numbers because he was third in Major League Baseball that year in innings pitched. Um, he was third? He was third behind Wilbur Wood, who had 376 and two-thirds, and then Steve Carlton had 346 innings pitched that year. So that's incredible. <laughs> How many wins did those other guys have? Now Wilbur's a knuckleball pitcher. Heck, he could pitch. He could pitch every day. Uh, uh, Steve Carlton was Carlton. Carlton. How many wins? Did they, how many wins did they have? Carlton had twenty-seven wins. Uh, Wilbur okay. Wood had twenty-four, and Gaylord had twenty-four. Yeah, Gaylord was twenty-four and 16, 40 starts, forty decisions, one save. If you look across the save, he had one save in Kansas City. But uh, no. I, I still think it, and I loved a pitcher when I'd go to the mound with the manager and the he, the manager say how you feel, and he say better than the guy in the bullpen. I'm staying. Okay, see you later. You know, and he's in ball game because, you know, again we had 29 complete games out of 40 starts. That, that's pretty special, and you know it's building up and it's having 
the, the, the attitude of wanting to do that. But, you know, I go back to when uh, uh, my wife, Carol, and I were in Acapulco's. I was a player representative for Cleveland. I've you know, said it before. Gaylord was with San Francisco as a player rep, and he was traded to the A's. And, and he came up to me and said, can you catch it? But he said something to me in spring training. He says, you know, I've been in the National League. I know nothing about the American League. Nothing. He said, I'm going to depend on you. And we worked so well together. And he was such a great competitor. It was so much fun catching him. You know, without Gaylord, and the surprising thing, we had a bad team. But Gaylord still won the Cy Young Award. And he, again, as I've said, and I still can't believe it, but saying he gets credit to me because I helped him get through the American League hitters, uh, whom he didn't know anything about, instead of taking all the credit himself. So he'll always be a special in my mind as far as uh, a great pitcher, great person. And, uh, you know, I always look forward to saying, hey, partner, how you doing? You know, I don't know if he knows anybody's name, but uh, but it makes it sound like he knows every- makes it sound like he knows everybody because, hey, partner, you know, hey, partner, how you doing? But, uh, good people. But, uh, you know, I liked um, – I liked you guys talking to the Chicago White Sox writer, and I know Cody was trying to get Steve Stone on. And uh, but if he's uh, in Arizona, like I suspect, and he's playing golf at 75 today in Arizona, so not surprised he's out on the golf course. But Liam Hendricks going to the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf uh, is going to be 85 next month. Now Jerry Reinsdorf could have sat back and said, "Okay, our White Sox won in 2005 and broke the curse of the, of the long time." Uh, the White Sox, not as long as uh, Cleveland still existing and, and the Cubs or the uh, uh, Boston Red Sox. But Jerry Reinsdorf has a whole bunch of rings from the Chicago Bulls. And it sounds like that what he's doing, first of all, hiring Tony LaRosa, getting him back after, as he said many times, making the biggest mistake ever and firing him. And A's were fortunate, so were the Cardinals. But he's back managing the White Sox. But Tony is managing an outstanding ball club. And Getting Lance Lynn, they have three outstanding starters. And the bullpen, Cody, that you talked about, some of the players down there. Now getting Liam Hendricks. And I'll be honest with you guys, you always hear about a player who signs, let's say, a three-year contract for X number of millions of dollars with an option for X number and a buyout very low. Have you ever heard, and again, I'm basing this on what I read, of a player getting more in his option year the fourth year, but it's the same amount as a buyout. I've never heard of that. Is, is, am I correct in what I read? Yeah, I, it, it's uh, for Liam Hendricks, you know, as much, you know, we love Liam and everything he did for us here uh, on A's cast. I, I mean, I can't be happier for him. I mean, he, this is a guy that a couple of years ago, Ray was DFA <laughs> and no one wanted him. <laughs> no, I keep thinking about that. 2018. See you later, Liam. All right, he's back. He's back September 1st. He was the first. Uh, he was the first opener for the A's. Did it against the Yankees, as you well know, and then takes over the closer row and and beats the White Sox. And but you know what I saw was three at 39 with a 15 option. Yeah. Uh, that that that's an option, but a buyout of the same amount of money. I've never seen that. So basically, he, he signed a four-year deal with them for 54. You know, and I, I don't like to throw those that 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 M or at the end of it because those are numbers that are staggering in the first place. But uh, but I agree with what you guys were talking about that um, if Bob Nightingale uh, repeated and said what the commissioner Bob Mafford said about starting on time, spring training, regular season, full season, um, 
you know, I, I like that because I think it will start opening up now where um, players will start looking and maybe also owners and general managers will start looking at certain players that they need if indeed it comes to fruition that everything's going to be back to normal with regard to spring training starting on time and the regular season on time. Do you think Jake Diekman can take over as closer? You know, the name that I, I, I think he can, um, but the, the name that has not been used, I know J.B. Wendelkin has been thrown in there, uh, but I like Lou Trevino. Lou Trevino, and I know that he had a fabulous first year in an A's uniform uh, between he and Blake Trinan, eight and ninth innings. I mean, nobody could touch them. And then he's, he's fallen off a little bit. But I think given the opportunity that, you know, maybe not all the time, maybe it's a, um, maybe it's a closer kind of by committee. I think Jake can because he has the experience. I think Lou can um, if he gets back to normal, which I think he always works at it. And it just seems to be a bad pitch here and there, and all of a sudden his ERA jumps up. But uh, uh, to answer your question, I think the A's are going to have to do it internally. Not they re-signed Joaquin uh, Soria, which I guess there's a possibility. He has closing experience. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think what it's going to prove, Tony and maybe Liam Hendricks did prove it that you can take a guy who is normally pitching in the sixth or seventh inning and put him in a closer row. And maybe it's not going to work out as well. Liam, it did, but I, I think that you could find somebody that could fit the role for not as much money and, and get the job done. But I like what the, uh, the writer with the white Sox said. That's why Brian Harvey was signed by the Marlins when they first came in the league. Because the one thing they said, we do not want to have a lead in the latter part of the game, especially the ninth inning, and have somebody come in the game and lose it. We need a proven closer. So I think the A's uh, will try to find that proven closer. And maybe with that 200-plus free agents that are out there, maybe there's somebody there that uh, can handle the role. Or if not, do it in, in-house. And I think Jake Diekman, given the opportunity, can do it. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Phillies last year, Ray, and they couldn't hold like a, a four or five run lead. You won't talk about utilizing. I, I mean, come on. I mean, that, that, that their bullpen was like historically bad. They couldn't hold any lead. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I know. And, that's, and, and, you know, if you start looking at 100 pitches uh, and, and you're out of the game, that means, you know, that pitcher starts off slowly and it gets the pitch count up and he's out of the game. Now you need that bridge to get to your setup and closer. And sometimes, man, that's when you start having a good lead. All of a sudden, it disappears, and, and you're you're trying to fight to win. And uh, I don't know. I just think the bullpen is important, considering the starters being the way they are. I mean, we're not going to have Gaylords anymore, or Steve Carlton's, or Nolan Ryan's, where they're going to go out and, and and pitch until their arms fall off. It's just not going to happen anymore because there's so much invested in in all types of players, including and especially pitchers. That you're not going to do that because of an injury. But I think uh, you have to have a good bullpen. The A's have been fortunate to have that, and I think it will continue, even though they have a possibility of losing some pretty key players. But uh, I, I like the fact that maybe like a J.B. Wendelkin, something that he has learned by being down there with some of the proven veterans, a guy like him, he, he could, maybe he can turn out to be a very good reliever. And I think l- let's say the A's don't pick up somebody, and Lou Trevino says, hey, maybe I'm the guy. Maybe I can do the job. Uh, if they've given me opportunity, I'm going to do the job. So maybe the losing of somebody like Liam Hendricks could help the A's with the ones they have still under contract or being in the bullpen that can step up and do the job. 
Yeah, Ray, I, I, you know, it's got to be unsettling for a lot of these guys that we're talking about 270 plus free agents out there. Yeah. It's, it's January 14th, and you don't know where you're playing. Yeah, that's tough. That is very hard. And at least last year, even though COVID came and we had to shut it down in, in March, mid-March, at least the players did sign and started spring training. But that is the frightening thing. I agree with you. And that's why it seems like every year there's that number. You're talking about a third of the major league players who are free agents looking for a job. And a lot of them are going to be a minor league uh, contract with a spring training invite, which means that basically if you don't make it, then you're going home or you're trying to go someplace else. And, you know, the worst thing for a player in that regard is to come to spring training, try to show what he can do. And you look around and you see all these pitchers and all these position players and the manager and pitching coach trying to get everybody their work. That's why you're going to see the, the split squads early in spring training and, and trying to see what you are going to say. I mean, history is going to help a lot of the players if they have major league experience, that's going to be a plus for them. But, it's going to be tough to get that major league contract. Um, it, it, it's just not a fun time to be a free agent. And, you know, I, I, I like the fact that what uh, you're, you're talking about Marcus Simeon as a possibility of coming back. I think that would solidify because now you, if he doesn't, you're talking about maybe Matt Chapman moving to third, Sheldon Noisy going, are, are going to shortstop, Sheldon Noisy going to third. Uh, you know, so you start, you start moving parts around. But if Marcus does come back, then you can have Chappie at third. Marcus is short. I say resign La Stella. You can do that. Jake Lamb can come back and play some. So there's some options. But ideally, it would be best if Marcus could come back. And and, and I like the the fact that um, you know you and I've talked about it before about a one year contract. And I know I think you brought it up with Jeff Blum uh, about a one year deal. But you know uh, the the one thing we did talk about I think last week if you put your numbers out there what you're expecting you're really putting yourself out on a limb because I don't know that clubs, a lot of clubs are going to be willing to spend a lot of money, not knowing hundred percent that fans are going to be back. And based on what they lost last year, maybe this market is not going to be what it normally would be under normal circumstances. How much are you just ready to get back to baseball? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's uh, you, you as Jeff Blum. I agree with him about uh, you know not traveling and doing all those things. But you know Jeff Blum has four kids. Um, we have four grandkids, which which is different because they are with the the boys are with their mother and the girls are with their you know their their families are all together. You know they are and Carol and I are by ourselves. You know so it's uh, I I have to temper myself because I get a little bit down because it's not baseball. And then my, my clock kind of turns on a little bit or I, I turn on the switch and my wife will say, oh, yeah, now baseball is back. You feel OK. Well, it is. It is true because, you know, something I've done my whole life. And I, I think with anybody that's been in the game any length of time, you start looking forward to something that you have done. And for me, it's baseball. I love baseball, as you well know. And I, I think it's just something that every year is different. And that's from a standpoint of having. A, a job to work in something that you know that every day is going to be different. I mean, how special is that for us, all of us, to be able to say that, to work in baseball and to be able to experience that? Ray, how many years have you been married? <laughs> 50. I, this is the most you've ever, I mean, you've, I mean, you basically your entire <laughs> life you've been traveling the country. I mean, this is the most you've been home by far. 
<laughs> I've been married half the time, I guess you could say. <laughs> but no, it, it, there's, there's a lot of truth it, to it. Because, is, you know, is your wife ready for you to get back on the road? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, there's something to be said. The grandkids were over yesterday, the grand, granddaughters. You know, they're five and three. And, uh, you know, it's a special time because there's, there's nothing better. You, you've got twins. You knew when they were at that age how, how special it was, you know, to have them around. So that's kind of what we look forward to. It. And, uh, you know, the boys are playing baseball and, and get the chance to watch them and everything. But th- there's nothing better than going to the park and knowing that when you go to the park and you sit down, getting ready to do a baseball game, you can say, what is going to happen today? It's going to be maybe something I've never seen before or be different in a sense of something that happened yesterday. It's, it's just rare. And I remember the late Herb Score, great broadcaster. He broadcast actually when I, uh, when I played there, and then he and I worked together on the Speakers Bureau in Cleveland. And I'll never forget asking him about how do you do it, because he broadcasted the time when the Indians were bad. Because I was there, I know that. <laughs> and so I say, I say, Herbie, how do you do it? And he said, you know, every day you come to the park, you, you, you're going to see something that you've never seen before. And if you think about that aspect of the game, let, let's say a shortstop or a second baseman or a hitter, a pitcher, somebody doing something special, that's what you focus on. And I thought that was a tremendous attitude. Not to mention... He had his score book that was called the Herb Score Book. <laughs> how would you love? To, how would you like to have a score book named Herb Score Book? <laughs> but, but Herb Score was a great pitcher, and at the Heritage Park in Cleveland a couple of years ago, you got to see his uh, his monument out there in center field in Cleveland because Herbie was a great pitcher, and unfortunately, got hit in the eye with a line drive. I think it was Gil McDougal. Um, hit a ball back and hit him in the eye and it just never was the same, but just a tremendous person. I learned a lot from him uh, on the speakers bureau and, and working with him. And uh, uh, I don't know, he, he's just a great person. He and Joe Tate, who Joe Tate did the uh, basketball for so many years. I don't even know if he still does that, but Herb and Joe worked together on the, on the radio side for many, many years, actually every year that I played there. And it was, I would go to them and I say, Hey, if you ever need a pregame show guest, let me know. I, I'll do it. And I would, I would love in all the years that I did pregame show guests that I would love to have somebody come to me and say, Hey, if you ever need somebody, let me know. It's a little different now, but uh, uh, it's baseball has been great. Tony, as you well know, it's, it's just something uh, sound bites that Howie Rose uh, (laughs) talking about the, the handshake. And it, it, and like Blummer said, getting a chance to see friends and people that you've seen, that's the thing I miss probably by not traveling. I would never say that, you know, uh, uh, traveling, you know, I never want to do it again because I think of all the cities, the great ballparks, the great people that you see at the parks, and maybe you only see them during the baseball season. I talked to John Reynolds, uh, who was our stage manager uh, uh, for NBC Sports California down in Anaheim, and talked to him the other day. And, of course, last year didn't get, did, didn't get a chance to see him. Didn't get a chance to see you and Cody down on the field before every home game. You know, yeah. those are things that you miss. Uh, on a daily basis, especially during a baseball season. And again, ultimately, uh, going to the World Series, playing the postseason, and uh, and hoping that your team is the last team standing and putting that ring on your finger the next uh, the next year as a world champion. That is like, like you, you, you technically with your career could write a book about this because you were either on top of the mountain winning the World Series <laughs> or 
or you were just you stunk with the Cleveland Indians. There was nothing <laughs> middle ground with you. It was either greatness or really bad. Well, we always we always talked about spring training. We'd always win the Cactus League when I was with Cleveland down in Tucson, High Corbett Field, and we'd get cigar bands for championship rings. I got a lot of cigar bands, man, because that's as close as I came with Cleveland to win a World Series. And but yeah, getting the chance to be traded to Oakland, and and again, I'll say in '73 it was it was heartbreaking because I just caught Gaylord in '72, and uh, you know we're looking forward to going to '73 and having a, a another great season with him on the mound every every four days, and then I was traded to Oakland, and it, you know it took me maybe the ten days of spring training to realize this is a pretty good club. I got a chance to do something here with this ball club and and to win a couple world championships. Yeah, that was pretty special. So I agree with you that, uh, you know, Cleveland kind of rebuilding and they're kind of really back to that a little bit more right now, uh, considering the trades that uh, they've made and, and we talked about them. But, uh, no, it, it's been a blessing to be in baseball as many years as I have and to be able to be with the Oakland A's as long as I have and uh, to, to be able to talk with you guys, you know, on a weekly basis. This is a lot of fun for me. And, and I, I look forward to baseball coming back, as all fans do. And I want to correct Jeff Blum. And I know he may or may not be listening, probably not. But when he said the four o'clock games in Oakland, we never had the four o'clock games. That he must have been talking about the Angels, because Artie Marino said a four o five starts, which means if you're heading east, that's bad. The A's are fortunate, or the teams that come to play the A's are fortunate, because those getaway days typically are twelve thirty five games. So if you finish after let's say three hours, that's three thirty. And you get on a plane at five o'clock, you're going east, you're going to lose a couple of hours, but you're not going to be getting in at four o'clock in the morning. And uh, that, that's what's so great about the A's and the scheduling, that they do that. It's great for the fans because the midweek afternoon games, in addition to those weekend games that are in the afternoon, except for six o'clock games. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's very nice. And there are times, and I think I remember, matter of fact, there was a, a game in Anaheim that started at 4.05 or something because... I think Major League Baseball, if you're going east, that is the latest you can start a game. And they would start at 405 because the Angels knew that it meant a lot of money for them. And maybe at 6 o'clock, a lot of money for them on the TV revenue to be able to get that. But if we ended up going to Texas in the same same series, we finished with the Angels. And the Angels were going to Houston, the A's to Arlington, Texas. And we both got in about 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning. That's not, yeah. that's not good. That's not good. I was, I was on one of those trips. Yeah, that that's not good. No, we, it's not we, good. We, 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 it was a seven o'clock start in Orange County. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we didn't get to we didn't get to. Is it Las Colinas where we stayed? Yeah, Las Colinas in Arlington. Arlington actually in Las. Yeah, it, the, it's against. It, it, yeah, the sun was coming up. When we <laughs> oh yes, that that that's that's part of baseball that you know people just don't understand. You know they oh. think oh this. The glorious life, show up to the park an hour before the game and, you know, do the game. No, no, no. It's it's getting in late and, and trying to sleep and, and uh, it just, you know, it just doesn't work out. I'm sorry. And, you know, that so I read sometime a long time ago, any time you go to bed after midnight, it, it takes you forever to catch up or something like that. Well, in baseball and the traveling, especially in baseball, because playing every day the way they see it, the schedule goes, you're, you're going to be missing a lot of sleep. And, uh uh, I thought it was funny you're talking about going to a three city trip. What hotel am I staying in? What what's my room number? You know. <laughs> and don't forget, no Ray, that was the Texas series where our plane got damaged. 
Oh, and the great gosh, yes, Torpedo yes. had to find another plane to then get us to Tampa. So we didn't get into Tampa until right. that was the worst. That was like, that's like, you know what? I can't do this full time. <laughs> I'm like, this is not, I'm not, I'm, this is not like, I like NFL travel because it's really cushy. You're there for a day. You're there for either two days or three days. And then you get back home. That whole yeah. leave for 12 days and all those different hotels, that's, you guys, that's brutal. Well, it is brutal, but it, it's great. And, you know, the, the younger you are, you don't think about it as much because you're young, but it's when you get older. And, you know, it, if, if you're talking for a living, you, you want to get your sleep. You, you don't want to be, you know, sleep on the plane, do whatever. And there's certain beverages you don't want to partake in. Uh, <laughs> just, just because you want to be able to talk the next day. But, uh, no, it, it, listen, there, there's no greater game than baseball. And, and like you said, uh, the, the football especially, you're playing one game, yes. And as much, as much brutality as there is in the game of football, they need the full five or six days to recover to be able to play it again. But in baseball, it's every day. And it's always been my contingent, Tony, that playing every day is the most important thing. If you're taking time off, the more time you take off, the harder it is to come back and get your timing back, whether you're a position player throwing, fielding, hitting, pitching, it doesn't matter. You have to play the game every day. And that's why it's a six-month season, and that's why there's 162 games, and that's why you see in postseason when a team is fortunate to sweep a team in three or four games, whatever it might be, and there's the layoff before the next series because you can't anticipate uh, a series being swept, so you have to schedule it. But that time off in between, you cannot simulate having the ability to play the game on a, on a, on a, the, the right basis. And that, it's an everyday. It's an everyday game, and you have to do it that way. So it's a, uh, it's a great game, and it will always be a great game no matter what they try to do to it. But uh, uh, the best thing that you said today, and I hope it really turns out to be correct, and that is spring training starts on time, the season starts on time, and, man, those are, those were Beautiful words to my ears. I know that. I'm sure to a lot of fans as well. I'll never forget in between that double header where you and I went over to Texas Live and had that barbecue and yeah. they had brisket deviled eggs. It was like, oh, gosh. Oh, oh, oh my God. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Okay, Ray, stay safe, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Donna, you and Cody are the best. Appreciate being on with you and uh, enjoy talking baseball. So you take care, have a great time, and uh, be safe yourself. The face of the franchise, the great Ray Fossey. And by the way, I've just, uh, our guy Liam Hendricks has just gotten back to me. And I'll just tell you in the text uh, how much he loves Oakland and he will always be available to come on the show. Going to miss him. You should text him too, Cody. Oh, I will. Um, I'm glad he got back to you. I'll send him a text and tell him. Yeah, thank Liam, you for I mean, no one's been better to us than Liam Hendricks, and and I'm I'm happy for him. You know, I'm I'm gonna miss him. I mean, I wish he was still an A, but I'm gonna miss him. And he's good people, and that'll always be really cool when we play when we uh, play the White Sox. It's so fitting that Liam literally just texts you back when we're gonna have a guy on that helped turn around. Uh, you know, essentially, kind of was one of the reasons to help turn around his career too, which is just fascinating. And who's coming up next? That'd be Michael Fisher from Codify, who helped. Uh, Liam Hendricks with uh, a lot of different things. So you'll hear from him next. He's helped Jake Diekman. He's helped Dan the K-Man Straley. He's helped a lot. 
This our next guest. I'm telling you right now, we taped the interview earlier today. This guy's fascinating. Next, right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. By the way, every single time I hear Dave Stewart talk about his relationship with Sandy Koufax, I don't know about you, but as a, as a lifelong baseball fan, it's like one of the coolest things. Right? Sandy Koufax and Dave Stewart, really? Can't get enough of that. Like, Dave Stewart's career was turned around by Sandy Koufax. And their relationship, the bond that they have, has continued his entire life since then. I don't know about you, Sandy Koufax isn't calling me, and Sandy Koufax didn't help my career. He he was a nice little pitcher. He had a nice little career, I would say, Um, you know. Supposedly he's the great, like, like, Who's it? Don Zimmer. So Don Zimmer, after he was done with the Yankees coaching, being, you know, basically the right hand man for Joe Torrey, Don Zimmer wrote a book. And I don't know why I read it, but, you know, so I'm reading this Don Zimmer book. And Zim, as they like to call him, he talked about one time at spring training, like the security guard came up to him and said, Hey, uh, there's a guy at the front of the the, the clubhouse doors uh, who wants to speak with you. His name's Sandy, and the guy's like, "You trying to tell me Sandy Koufax?" So like like Zim's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> you know, but that's like Sandy Koufax would not. He wouldn't show up with bravado. Is the point I'm trying to make here? That he's a very every everything you hear about. Him, he's so respectful. He's so nice. He's a legend, but he doesn't play on that. Like, he's not going to be like, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer. Let me in. Went up to the security guard. Hey, can you go get Don Zimmer for me? Uh, your name, sir, Sandy? And he's like, Sandy Koufax. And, you know, of course, then he brings him into the Yankee clubhouse, and everybody's like, oh, he's God. He's Sandy Koufax. But he never uses his name. He never he doesn't do that. But the Dave Stewart, Sandy Koufax story is just, that's where, that's where Stu learned his split finger with Sandy Koufax. And Sandy Koufax didn't even throw one, I don't think. He was fastball, curveball. I don't think baseball savant goes back that far for me to track his uh, his pitching and his metrics back in the 60s, but um, that's a great story. And, 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 and Stu's right. That's the thing. Like, when you play in L.A., that's the one thing is you're always going to have stars. You're, it's, it's, a diff- it's like New York and L.A. are a different ballgame. They're just a different – you're not getting the stars down at Angel Games. You know, the stars are going to use stars. You know, when he was referencing Tommy Lasorda in your clubhouse, Sammy Davis Jr. is in your clubhouse, part of the Rat Pack, one of the most famous guys in the entertainment bit. Like, those guys are around all the time. I mean, that's just, you know, that's par for the course. It's a little different than Kansas City, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, which I love Kansas City. I don't will never if you ever get it. Kansas City is a great town. Great food, great museums. I'm a big Kansas City guy. All right. Michael Fisher is helping Major League Baseball pitchers get better. Codify baseball. How does he do it? You're going to find out right now. Here's my conversation with him. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. We truly appreciate it. 
Hey, great to talk to you. I started to look up, uh, try to figure out when the last time or the first time I ever talked to you was. And then I thought, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> it's been way down. It's a big well, number. Ever since, you know, Susan Slusser in the Chronicle, you know, brought you to us, codify your company. It's very, very fascinating. Talk about how you got into baseball. Well, a uh, longtime baseball fan, it's it's bizarre seeing a, uh, you know a newspaper I delivered, a, a beat writer I've watched forever, talk about my business. But uh, you know, I was an A's season ticket holder from 1982 to 1990, uh, huge A's fan forever. Um, would have loved to get into this business a long time ago, but just there was no real path to that. Uh, everyone wanted to get in, and I didn't go to Harvard, so I'm out. Um, th- then God bless him. My uncle decides to remarry, and he remarries Dan Straley's mom. And uh, so now, now I know a major league pitcher. And uh, you know, it, it was far from any instant thing. That was, it was six years until Dan had been DFA'd a couple times and said, "I need help. Uh, what can you do for me?" And I started to get into this. So, what is it you exactly do? Well, uh, definitely don't cookie cut with anybody. I help in a lot of ways. Uh, can do pitch, ma- uh, you know, pitch type sequencing and all that stuff. But the one thing everyone's using is what you probably saw in that Chronicle article: are customized heat maps for every pitcher, for every pitch he throws against every batter he might face in a in a given game. And that's the thing that's unlocked, you know, Trinan's you know amazing year, what Liam's done. You know, when Jake Diekman goes, whatever, 55 games until he gives up a run, you know, it, that's what's been unlocking the, the, that higher level of success for these guys. They know where their stuff works against that guy that's standing up at the plate. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, you know, that's the thing is, is you want to know what, what, what do you do best? What are your strengths? You know, because so many right. times, and we've talked to Liam about it, so many times the information that these guys were getting was negative information. You're right. now supplying them with positive, and we know as human beings, we react better to positive news than we do to <laughs> bad news. And that's where I think you're helping guys so much because you're telling them, hey, this is where you're good. Stay where you are. Right. right. To tell you the truth, and you know, I love Liam's like, you know, been the best codified pitch man uh, how, how could he not be what, what five dfas and now 56 million dollars guaranteed and he says it's codify you can't really top that but the truth is if you're the kind of guy that wants to look for where you will get hurt and avoid it these maps will let you do that you just look at it the other way and go how do i avoid the red so um it does work really well when guys are positively oriented like liam is but it works the other way too where they're they're you know concerned about, hey, when I throw this pitch, yeah, I can throw a curveball at the very top of the zone and get guys out. But man, if I miss, I'm into that red. So I need to avoid that. So it's cool that it, you know, it's not a one size fit all. And, and you can you can take this information and use it in a variety of ways and still succeed. You know, I, I, I just think about ever since, you know, COVID hit us and we've had so much off time, you know, I started playing more golf than I had since, you know, my early days. And it's like the same thing in golf. There's certain shots I'm good at. <laughs> right. Right. I'm not. So it's like uh, you got to right. figure out, you know, what are my strengths? What what do I do um, now? Have you developed the technology? Is this is, is this what you created? 
Absolutely. Um, I, Codify actually has been around for a long time and did financial consulting and analytics and uh, much more boring looking at mountains of data and trying to figure out who's going to pay their bill and who, how much you should charge them in interest and all that boring stuff. Uh, when I get, once I hooked up with Australia, started acquiring data and started going about, you know, how can we make maps? And the first ones were horrible, but the second ones were as good as the teams had. And then just over the years, just so many different iterations, just make it better, make it better. And uh, it is here it is today. Um, it's still still constantly improving, but it's all all codify all from the ground up. What are we trying to do and how, how do we get there? You know, there was a couple times uh, we were able to talk to Dan Straley from South Korea. And right. I mean, we've always loved Dan. He, he's a great guy. Were you able to put those maps together for him with the Korean bit with the KBO? Yes. Um, we had a much more ambitious deal set up. Uh, the Giants, his team over there, had called and said, what would happen if a whole team in the KBO had maps and nobody else did? And I made some weird gurgling sound that he took as a positive response. Uh, and we, you know, we had a deal ready, but then COVID hit and they had to back off. Uh, however, they did set up uh, a data stream of all the TrackMan data from the KBO. So Dan had maps all season long. And uh, yeah, he tore up the KBO. Uh, and if he hadn't had that, then you have to wonder, you know, these guys swing differently. They have different discipline. And he, he would have done okay, but he, he definitely did better knowing the batters ahead of time and them not knowing him. How much of this would be great for hitters to use? And are any hitters working with you now? No hitters are paying for it. I get the occasional phone call or I'll get a pitcher who says, uh, my buddy wants to know where his blue is. Um, you know, the pitchers uh, are, you know, they hold the ball in their hand and the batters are kind of reacting. So it's, it's definitely a different dynamic. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of temptations to go that route, but, you know, if I have to go tell Dan Straley that, okay, here's your maps, but three of the guys that I, I'm giving you maps for bought their maps against you, it just kind of changes the, the setup there. So kind of shied away from it, but it's more and more, uh, more and more talk about uh, helping hitters as well especially off season, just like, where are my holes and do I want to retool my, my swing to address them or just forget about it? Like Matt Olson, right? I mean, we know, we know how to get Matt Olson out, but if you miss that spot, then if you need a new baseball. He knows that, and he's not going to go change his swing where he can dominate a big chunk of the zone to worry about that little bit that he can't. See, I find that fascinating from a standpoint yeah. of if I'm a hitter, you're, you're, you could give me the evidence like, okay, I can pound you down and in, I can pound right. you up and in, like this is where you, you're not very good, and this is where you need to get better because, you know, as you said it, I mean, we, we have seen how certain hitters have been attacked over and over and over again, right. and it's just right. they, they don't make adjustments. That's right, and sometimes maybe they shouldn't. At first I thought it was crazy. Uh, I think it was uh, – Ronald Acuna Jr., and I'm pulling his maps for some of my guys, and just solid blue down the outside edge. Just, and they're just, people are just abusing him. They're trying to throw it there over and over again. They miss. He gets his 40 home runs, and he gets paid. If he wants to worry about covering that, he changes his whole swing, and now he's not hitting the ball out as much when they throw it in the other two-thirds of the zone. And I don't know if he's really thinking that, but it sure seems like he is. You know, I, I think about football, and when you're you're pulling your guard and you're running a power run, and the other team can't stop it, 
you're just going to run it right. over and over and over until <laughs> so they can stop right. it, right? And it's kind of the same right. thing in baseball. Like, like if, you know, there's certain left-handers, you know, because the way their swing works, if you can bust them inside right below their hands, they're going to struggle with it. And you see pitchers just pound them inside over and over again, and then they go away with like a circle change, and it's strike three. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I am friends with the pitching ninja, Rob, Rob Friedman, and I connected Liam with Rob recently to do an interview. And Liam's, you know, engaging everybody like he always does in a wonderful way, but then says, hey, when I get a swinging strike during an at-bat and the at-bat isn't over, I throw the same pitch again, the same pitch type again. And I'm obviously freaking out. Like, don't don't tell everybody that, right? Uh <laughs> But anyway, so I go, you know what? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look at the numbers. So I go look, and nobody does that, or at least in 2020, more than Liam. Like 94% of the time, he throws a swing, gets a swinging strike during an at-bat. He throws the same pitch again, and he knows where the blue is and all that stuff. But he's not surprising anybody. He gave up one scratch single on 56 of those pitches. Normally, you'd say, don't do that. Don't do that. But it, for Liam, it works, and he knows where the blue is, and he can hit it. He has a huge room, you know, a lot of room for error. And why would you throw it out of the zone if you didn't have to? What do you walk, like three three guys all year? I mean, it looked like Eckersley out there with the walk rate. So, so with, pretty crazy. With, with your maps, do, do you take in what the counts are? Yes, absolutely. Now, there aren't different maps for all the counts normally, but they go into considering what the map should look like. So if you last week took a 3-0 pitch down the middle – uh, for called strike, I'm not saying, hey, throw it to Chris down the middle because he got a called strike there. I'm considering the count and, you know, adjusting accordingly. Yeah, but, it, it, uh, it, it, it's but, pretty amazing, like the batting average of, like, right. what it is 2 <laughs> versus 0-2. It's like the count right. dictates the, the outcome of the at-bat. Absolutely. Two two strikes is the, is the party. As soon as you get there as a pitcher, you know. Yeah, you want to have a couple extra to waste, but it's a totally different thing. I got to tell you, though, this, you know, I do, I do count specific maps for guys. It's a lot to memorize, but we do them on occasion. And uh, you just see some wild, like the blue is out like two feet on some of these pitches for some of these batters that go, hey, it's two strikes. I'm not, I don't want to sit there with the bat on my shoulder. And sometimes they just say, I'm just going to swing. Uh, so what do you see when, when Liam breaks off a curveball? How many times did you see him bounce one? completely unhittable and he got swings on him over and over again because he has blue there on with two strikes and when he would bounce it and there's no fans <laughs> in the stands they were the right. uh, loudest f-bombs that we've heard <laughs> yeah that's not part of what we do to uh we, we can't control that unfortunately yeah so i'm thinking about what what, what is the difference so take a guy like liam who's throwing two pitches Versus a guy like a starter who's throwing four pitches. Right. Well, I helped uh, Daniel Mingdon, who throws six if you're conservative. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot. He's got a lot to remember out there. And uh, he's luckily he has the capacity where he's a little bit more sip out of the fire hose rather than sip out of the straw or whatever you want to say. But but it's still a ton to memorize. Um, But this this information will help you. I mean, if you can handle. If you can handle it, this will show you, you know, how you should approach that. You got to throw a pitch anyway. Someone's deciding what you're going to throw. Um, a lot of guys who come to me just throw whatever their catcher puts down, and 
you know, then guys were coming to me saying, well, when I went to arbitration and I, you know, they were trying to tell me what I was worth. And I said, yeah, but the catcher called that pitch and they don't seem to really care about that. So uh, these guys are starting to take control of their own destiny a little bit and work a little, you know, a little bit different way pregame. I, I, you don't need to name anybody, but have you worked with a guy where you're showing him in the maps and you're saying, buddy, you shouldn't be throwing this pitch. Like, ha, ha, yeah. ha, have, have guys just completely changed their arsenal based on the, yeah. the, the data you've, you, you've supplied? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll give you, I won't name a name, but I'll give you a, the most common thing has been a sinker. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these maps come out and, guy will call me and say, yeah, I got the maps he sent me. There's something wrong because, you know, my sinker maps are like all orange and red. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong because the path of your pitch is hitting the path of their bats. And, yeah, you might get a sexy swing and miss every once in a while, like, uh, I don't know, like Dustin May of the Dodgers or someone like that. That Wow, that looked great that one time. But what happened over the whole year? You know, that's when they got their good contact and you were all over the place with it. And you have three other pitches, so – Let's let's turn that down a little and not lean on that as your primary pitch. And some guys, you know, if you if you look at my guys, you'll see a couple of guys that have really changed their their pitch mix a lot. Maybe not throwing a pitch out, but cut the usage in half. You know, you you, you are so right because I remember it was pound the bottom of the strike zone, and right. then we saw That's hitters suicide. <laughs> we saw yeah, we saw hitters adjust. Hitters are always going to adjust. And now what we've seen, like, look at the success of Liam. You know his maps better than anybody. But when he threw right. the ball with the velocity up in the zone, he was unhittable. Right. When I first started working with him, there was just a tiny, tiny adjustment where he was asking me about the movement. And I'm like, man, if you can just make this little adjustment, turn a little bit of that horizontal movement to just a little bit more rise. And he got another whatever it was two inches well the bat's not less than three inches wide and that's that's just a game changer right there you can put it where he wants and you know we have these monkey brains or whatever you want to call it that says this pitch is coming in looking like it's going to end up here and you know batters can try to swing over those but you just it's not you just can't do it with any regularity and so anybody that can live up there with good rise on their fastball and good velocity like that uh i'm almost candy from a baby I, I and I think you'd agree with this if umpires started, you know, because the strike zone for some reason they stopped calling the high strike. Like if you go back and right. watch baseball in the '60s, like Sandy Koufax, he got the <laughs> right. right. Like, like how would that change if umpires actually really started calling the real strike zone and the high strike came back in, uh, into vogue? Uh, well, we'll have to lower the mound and move it back or whatever. Because if they have this information and a shoulder high strike or an armpit strike or whatever uh, is a strike from Liam. I mean, what, what would they do? Uh, the fan, the baseball doesn't want one Oh and two one games. So uh, they won't. Now the robots are coming. Eventually we're going to have automated zones and it'll be interesting to see to me how that influences everything. Um, you know, will, will the robots, if you will, call the zone the way it's written or will they end up changing it? Because, Daniel Mangdon can throw a 52 mile an hour, or Bathis can can throw a, a really slow curveball that catches at the bottom of the zone and almost hits the plate. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, a high strike, uh, if they called it like the old days, yeah. The, with this information, I can't even imagine how, how what that would do to the offenses. 
So one of your clients, you know, as you mentioned, Jake Diekman, who had an incredible year, um, you think he can handle the closer role? I, I do. Um, you know, I don't say it lightly. I've seen plenty of guys, like I say, he's fancy, plenty of guys come and go. And I know there's an extra mentality. And I know there's some guys who are comfy in the seventh and eighth and just aren't in the ninth. Um, and you know what? If he would have asked me, not just because of the statistics, but just in general, before I met him, I would have definitely hesitated. Um, but now he has the information. Uh, you see what happened. He not only engaged with me, but he got a uh, slider grip from Pitching Ninja. <laughs> he said, wow, that Chaz Rowe slider is really sexy looking. Can you give me the grip? And he got it. And these guys are so, they're so talented. I mean, the next day he's throwing, instead of, you know, sliders that are breaking eight inches, they're breaking 18 inches. And so I'm running to try to like change the maps because now he throws differently and it's changed everything. <laughs> and holy, you know, holy crap, you, you have like double the blue on these pitches and it's changed your fastball maps because now you have a slider that they can't hit, but they have to worry about it. And so, you know, he's like, oh, so all I have to do is, <laughs> I mean, I have these huge area margins of error. And he, like I say, doesn't give up a run until the 55th game. Uh, I'm not saying forever he's a sub one ERA guy. It's not, that's not realistic. There's still guys up there getting paid to hit baseballs, but, but he's not the, he's not the four ERA guy that we had before. And I don't worry at all at all because I project the pitch path and the bat path. I don't worry about him against righties at all. How many have, have any teams come to you and said, Hey, we, we need some help. I mean, it sounds like a no brainer. Yes. It seems like, uh, yeah, right now the white Sox are certainly uh, asking a lot of questions because uh, Liam and his negotiations, according to Susan Flesser officially, uh, when in his negotiations for free agency, he started off the conversation saying, you need to not only accept all work with Codify, you need to embrace them, which was an interesting twist. Uh, and the White Sox did that. And I think it was a huge, believe it or not, I mean, I'm not going to say money isn't money, but uh, there was, it was definitely a, a key factor in that negotiation. And so in turn, they're saying, well, wait, we, you work with Lucas Giolito, you work with Yasmani Grandal, now you have Liam Hendricks. So all of our stars are saying, uh, why don't we have this for our team? So yes, uh, it's natural, as you said, the teams are starting to ask about that. That's um, a weird thing for them. And they're like, well, wait, can anybody buy these? I don't really want the Indians or the Twins having them. And so we're having to deal with that kind of thing. Because I, I love doing this and I love working with pitchers from any of the teams and how different everybody is, and you know, it's, it it'll be hard to give that up to to change the the dynamics to help a help a team exclusively. So, do do, do you work with any youth baseball players? Uh, only at a high level. Um, you know, like if a college kid comes to me, uh, I can profile their pitching. I can shove them into a major league map, and they won't look pretty, but it'll kind of tell them, you know, in an advanced way, you could start working on getting guys out down at the level you're at. It's worked really well with minor leaguers. Um, I don't have that luxury. What you know, if a, a, an eleven-year-old comes to me, it's a lot more subjective. You know, throw strikes and get your arm out over here and that kind of stuff. It's not. I don't have some nice map that I can give an eleven-year-old, but um, there's certainly a demand for it. That's for sure. But there's just not the data available for that, other than you know the rap soda they can slap down and find out what his pitches look like, which I do use. 
Yeah, that's it. You know, you know, whether you're talking track, man, rap, Soto, Hawkeye, whatever. And that, that is, you know, this new, you know, technology that's been basically in golf forever. <laughs> you know, right. People, right. You know, I try to tell people, I mean, they, they were using track, man and golf in the late eighties. And cause you know, they're trying to sell golf clubs. They're trying to sell balls. It's like baseball has been very slow to technology. Right. Right. It's interesting to see how the teams are using it. And, uh, you know, I, I always think of it like computers. Uh, you know, I grew up with computers and, you know, whatever, had a VIC-20 and a Commodore 64. And, you know, you're squeezing every little ounce of what these machines could do. And now we have these monster computers and you can get them to do whatever you want. But, I mean, you know, what do the video games look like? And but we don't really we can't just build the video games we want because it takes so much manpower. Now we have Hawkeye and Hawkeye. If you walk out to the mound and throw a pitch, I'm tracking, Hawkeye, your skeleton in 19 points constantly. I know where every one of those 19 points is at all times. So I could do all kinds of stuff, but it's just a mountain of data, and no one's really tapped into that. Well, I'm glad you can't do that for my putting because I'd be scared that <laughs> would be like my putting. I'd be, I'd be terrified. Well, right. That I can imagine from what I've heard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, frankly, the as exciting as it would be to be, uh, uh, you know, in the forefront of getting into that data, you know, I've had uh, a pitcher tell me like, hey, I, n- I noticed that this guy, true story, like will lift his front heel when he is more likely to swing. And if that's down, he's just taking it. He does it all the time. You know, and that we're going to have data for that. We're going to have data that shows whether the guy choked up or moved closer to the plate. You can see it, but yeah. what happened when he did it and how did it change? And, you know, it's an interesting thing because there's a lot of people against that kind of analytical thing. And, you know, we got to be really, I think, really careful what we let happen during the game, for sure. Because if, if you let me in the dugout with a the computer, then we, you know, we win 120 games if, if the other team can't do it. So got to be careful with that, I think. Yeah, it, 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 and, it, and it's, you know, every guy's different. Like, you know, I, I did some shows with Coco Crisp, and Coco was like, I'm C-ball, hit-ball. Like, some guys right. don't want any kind of – they don't want the data. But the other guys, as you mentioned, if someone can actually absorb it all and use it like a Liam or a Daniel Mingdon or – you know, it's just, it, it just depends on – on you know who who the player is and 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 how and how he reacts to the data whether he likes it or not. Absolutely, um, I won't. I hate to pick on him, but the, the one guy that comes to mind, Spencer Turnbull. Um, you know, I, I when I first met him, I had his video up on the screen, and my daughter walks by and goes, "Who's that?" And I'm like, "That's Spencer Turnbull. He must be like one of the best pitchers." I'm like, why do you say that? Well, he just he just looks like it. He just looks like one of the best. Look at how how he throws. Well, it turns out he's obviously immensely talented, but he doesn't have a really strong capacity to take all this stuff out there and use it during the game. He can't, and he's not the only one, he can't memorize all the hitters, all the pitches, all the maps. Uh, And he has that caveman, you know, once he gets into the heat of battle, he wants to, I'm going to beat you with this pitch, whether it's blue or not. And, you know, that's why he had an ERA of mid-fours before we met, and we're, we're still working on that. But totally right. Every guy's different. And, God, I don't, don't even want to know what Coco Chris' maps would have looked like when, when he was at his real peak there where you couldn't get him out. I mean, it would be like the maps would just say IBB or something like that. I mean, just don't even, don't even try. 
You know what I mean? Remember when you, you couldn't get him out for that yeah. month or whatever where he was at his white hottest? Yeah. Like, like so what, that, what would the maps look like for, like, Wade Boggs or Tony Gwynn? <laughs> oh, my God. That's a good question. Now, we don't have the data, so we don't know where guys got him out and where they tended to ground out and all that stuff, but they would be, I'm sure, very nasty. Now, you know, uh, Gwyn, you, you, you might not see the, the, the blood red because he's not hitting it over the wall a lot. You know, like Matt Olson has some red. And it's like, if you hit, if you throw it there, yeah, you're in, you're in, he's going to hit a lot of those over the fence. And it wasn't that, but, but damn, I mean, how many balls did Boggs hit off the wall or whatever? Just slap it off the green monster because you, you threw it outside. And he's like, fine, that's what I want. They'd be extremely, I'll just say extremely non-blue for sure. <laughs> well, sure. I, I gotta tell you this has been fascinating i truly appreciate the time and uh as we get closer to the season let, let, let's do this again and be safe and thank you so much let's do it uh, i appreciate you calling have a great day hey that was awesome yeah that's awesome that's interesting call me some vinnie catronio right now i'm gonna i'm gonna text vince because he uh he's actually gonna call into us I think he's going to video with us. So the first look of 2021 with Vince Catronio. He's on the couch. That's what he told me. I'd like to, you know, it's just smart. It's playing to your strengths, right? Well, that's, that, that's the thing. It's like all pitching coaches will tell you, don't get beat with your secondary stuff, when in doubt. So if I'm looking at Liam Hendricks, hey, your, your bread and butter is a fastball that's high in the zone. When in doubt, throw it. Don't get beat. Like, like I, I'm telling you, like, there, there, there are times where your third or fourth best pitch, you get beat by that, your pitching coach is going to be like, what are you doing? He's just reinforcing positive, this is what you do well. Like, if 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 you're good, if you're good at hitting one shot in golf, in, 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 in crucial time, you shouldn't be hitting another. I mean, it's the same thing in anything. How you doing, Vinny? What's up, Townie? Nice space you got going there. We miss you. How are you? I'm okay. Down in Arizona, the uh, COVID capital of the world, and hoping that things begin to turn the corner so we can start uh, focusing on getting some folks on the field and some pitching and catching and hitting and running and all kinds of things. Yeah, we had we had Ray on, and I think you got to be the same way. You got to be itching, Ray, to get back because uh, such a short season and what you're used to. I mean, you got to be itching to get back to calling games. Well, sure, and and given you know the A's, people talk about teams and their windows. Yeah, you know, the, the the opportunity to 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 be a good team for a, a X period of time. The A's are right in the middle of that, and and you really want to do everything you can to try to take advantage of that. And you know we'll see we'll see how it goes. I mean there there are some things that the A's even as they got to the playoffs and got into a second round of postseason that they've got to improve upon, and I want to see that story develop. You know, it it, it it bothers me, but I think I'm just used to it now that whenever they start doing power rankings and they start doing projections, it's like every single year, it's like 
everybody just all of a sudden goes, wow, the A's are still good. It's like we never get any love in the offseason. But then all of a sudden during the season, it's like, well, there they are again. It's like, it's like, why? Like someone had us not as a top 10 team. I'm like, are you crazy? How are we not a top 10 team? Yeah, it's it, it, and, you know, the A's have lived with that for decades and they understand it. They, I guess, accept it, but they also excel around it. And even as recently as yesterday, the A's, according to one of the Vegas websites, is projected as a, the team to beat in the American League West. And this is on, you know, January, whatever it is, 13th or 14th, without, a, you know, without signing any of the 10 free agents, not knowing what they're going to do at shortstop or second base and how they're going to retool their, clo- their, their, their bullpen, although they made a step in that direction today, a small step. But uh, it, it speaks to the guys that are there, the anticipation that, you know, the, the Mats will uh, do better than what they did in, in 2020, like a lot of players were, and, uh, and see where that takes them. But it's encouraging with, with the majority of that rotation coming back and supposedly some encouraging signs about A.J. Puck, uh, maybe finding the eye of the tiger, if you will. And <laughs> hopefully that, that, that means something going forward because he, if he's healthy and he could stay healthy, he would really be a key piece to, to that pitching because Tony, I mean, the reality is 60 games to let's we're hopeful for 162 means you're going to need a lot of pitching and you're not going to have a five man rotation. It's just not going to happen. You're going to you have to spread it out even more. Bullpen's going to be even more uh, important and the guys have got to attack it accordingly. Well, I want to bring in my my pitching coach, Commander Cody. Uh, Commander, I want you to throw your idea what you want for AJ Puck and see what uh, see what Vince has to say about it. So, Vince, my idea has been, you know, Puck hasn't been able to establish himself as a reliable major league starter just yet in his career. Why not go the route of letting him be a reliever or a closer to build up that arm strength, to build up that experience? You put him in the most um, pressure-packed situations and then work his way back into being a starter, starting pitcher. What do you think of A.J. Puck as a closer? I don't. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I, I, I know when, when Susan was still on the beat with the A's, this was something she was touting you know, pretty strongly. And she had her reasons and certainly well-thought-out reasons, and I know you think the same way. But the fact that A.J. Puck hasn't been healthy enough to, to pitch in a rotation, to ask him to pitch – three and a half times a week, maybe even more. I think that's asking an awful lot right now. And now if you're thinking about making him, you know, like a bridge, like a guy that you can count on two and a half times a week to give you two plus innings, uh, that's something that might be something you can ease him back into the rotation. That's something that the Astros did years ago with, with Mike Hampton, turned into a starting pitcher and certainly went on to, to have a lot of success with, with the Rockies and with the Mets. Uh, I, I still think right now the A's need AJ as the fifth man of the rotation because after the first four it's it's a lot of and he's young too he's he's inexperienced but he's been around the big league club for longer than you know Dalton Jeffries or James Caprillion and certainly you know Grant Holmes hasn't been around at all so uh, I I think for me I still think AJ Puck uh, rotation and and plan B would be the two inning bridge guy to get him back to the rotation. I don't, I don't see him as a closer at all. I could be completely wrong, but I just, I don't see right now that his, his body has proven that it could withstand that kind of, that kind of role. Uh, is Mike Hampton still uh, happy with the school district? Here in- 
121 million reasons why that school district was so good back in the day. Yeah, I like the school districts, Vance. I really <laughs> that was I mean, that I was, was with I was with Mike when he was with Houston when that when that began. When he was, you know, he was picked from another organization, came from Seattle, and they they specifically said, This is a guy we see as a starting pitcher, not yet, but we're gonna groom him, and this is the way we're gonna groom him. We're gonna use him as a bridge in the middle and eventually get him in the rotation, and that's what they did. And he a, a, in Houston, he was legit. Yep. And same, I mean, he had, you know, he, he had some success early in Colorado, had some su- success with the Mets as well. Uh, you know, he, he, he held his own. He, he wasn't, he didn't become a, you know, a premier pitcher, but he certainly became a, a very reliable starting pitcher over time. You know, when this whole thing started, when our season ended and, you know, you're heading into free agency, I didn't have a lot of hope that Marcus Simeon could be back, but now with hearing the rumors and, 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 and for our fan base, they need to know no one talks to more people than Vince Catronio. He talks to all the scouts. Uh, Vince works as you know what off. It, we all respect it. Um, when we're starting to hear that, you know, people want him at second base. They want him at third base. He views himself as a shortstop. Does that maybe kind of lead you back to maybe that's why he'll come back to Oakland because this is the one place that will embrace him as a shortstop? That's part of it. Uh, you know, he was a Gold Glove finalist and an MVP finalist two years ago, and there is a list an arm's length long of players that just did not perform that well in a 60-game season. I mean, the A's are talking about potentially maybe acquiring Andrew Benintendi from the Boston Red Sox as a left fielder, left-hand hitting left fielder who had just a miserable year with the Red Sox. But you look back before that, he had some decent years. There were a lot of guys that were in that category, a lot of, you know, very good players that had a lot of success before that. Nolan Arenado, and, and there's, there's, there's many more behind that. I, what I am hopeful for with Marcus is I, I'm hoping that the gravitational pull of the East Bay is what gives the A's an opportunity to make. Now, they have to make him a fair offer. Uh, you know, he made, what, $15 million last, He would have made $15 million in a full season last year. Uh, and he turned down the, the qualifying offer, which was 17-plus. If you can get Marcus uh, two years in the Chris Davis kind of money, I think that's something I would hope that the A's would, would consider. Uh, he's an important part of this club. He's, he's either your leadoff guy or your number two hitter. And he's also, you know, your shortstop. He's been a leader. And he, while the season, you know, didn't go that well, the playoffs, he, he kind of woke up. He went eight for 15 in the series against the Astros, some big hits and scored a lot of runs in that series. So, yeah, I'm hopeful that that Marcus is a different kind of player. I mean, I was with Craig Biggio all those years in Houston, and he was courted by a lot of teams when he became a free agent, specifically the Colorado Rockies came after him hard. But he wanted to stay with one team. And that's harder and harder to find players to do that. But I think Marcus might be a special case in that regard because of some of those reasons. And again, it all pivots around him being fairly compensated. And it gives him a chance, if he feels like he has to, to rebuild his value over two years. He'll still be, what, 31 at the end of that two-year contract. And there's certainly an opportunity to, uh, to look for opportunities after that or continue if he's with, the, with the A's to extend that beyond that. You know, I don't remember what year it was. I mean, these years are now all running together. But then Benatende was something that he was a guy that Billy and David were looking at. Remember that rumor it was back then where they were interested in him sure, years sure. ago? Well, he's a, you know, he's a 
he's a very good player. He's a good fastball hitter, decent breaking ball hitter, positive outfielder and left. He had a 20 homer, 90 RBI season once with uh, with the Red Sox. The next year actually had a higher OPS. But last year it was like four for 39. You know, just it was just a bad year on a team that that just lost a lot of its mojo. Uh, he's the kind of guy that that the A's could, you know, maybe potentially buy low. They do have uh, enough prospects, you would think, in the organization that would garner some interest from the Red Sox. And he has, what, two more years of control at least. And that's a positive as well, which is something the A's are always looking to, to accomplish when they, when they acquire players. Yeah, because if we look at the roster right now, it's very right-handed heavy. There's no – I mean – as of right now, the only guy you got in your lineup who's left-handed is our first baseman. Everybody else, as of right now, is right-handed. Sure, and you're waiting on, on the possibility of, of Tommy LaStella. I mean, I, I like Luis Barrera personally. I hope he gets an opportunity. But he hasn't played above double-A. You know, they acquired Kai Tom as a Rule 5 kid at a decent year two years ago. Same thing, a little bit of time at triple-A. Uh, they need to find somebody left-handed that can play that left-field corner, move more canna around let him do a variety of things, play left, play some right, DH, maybe an occasional game at first base, and allow him to uh, keep his bat, which is an important bat in the lineup. But right now, as, as we sit in the middle of January, the A's need a leadoff man, get a number two hitter, and they need a second baseman and a shortstop, and they need to solidify what's going to happen in the bullpen, particularly you know now that Liam has officially become a White Sox, which was a foregone conclusion, but who's going to take the ninth inning and how they're going to work their way back from that? Do you think Jake Diekman can do that? Sure. I, I, don't, I don't see why not. I mean, the, the difference is when people talk about Jake, you know, he's and absolutely he's had high leverage situations his entire career. Phillies, Rangers, athletics in the seventh and eighth innings. The only difference is while those certainly determine whether you win or lose those games, on the offensive side, if, if Jake doesn't have success, and he's only seven for 21 as a closer, if he doesn't have success in the seventh or eighth inning, you have opportunities. You have maybe as many as three opportunities to come back and win that game. Do it in the ninth inning, and your back's against the wall. Maybe the game's over and you're walked off, or you get you know you get three outs to come back from a from a deficit. And that's that's always a challenge of the guy that gets that baseball, you know, in that spot. But but Jake is a guy that he's not. He walks a lot of guys. Not concerned about. It. It's it's never been something that that has been in his head that's affected the way he attacks hitters. I think. It took him a while last year to, to, to come, if you will, come to grips with a grip on the slider. And he, I think he found something he was comfortable with. And that is such a devastating pitch that uh, I think he can handle it. I think certainly of the guys that are that are on the roster right now, he's at the top of the list. If you re-sign Joaquin Soria and bring him back for a year or two years, he has that experience that can help out along the way. Lou Trevino's got some proving to do. J.B. Wendelkin hasn't been there yet. So, uh for me, it's Deakman right now. I don't, I don't see them going out and getting Brad Hand or somebody like that. You know, I'm a dinosaur. I'm one of those guys that uh, still likes to get our, our baseball preview magazines, right? Athlon and Sporting News, and I'll buy them. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll buy them all. Problem is, we've got over 270 free agents. They're not going to be yeah, in these yeah. magazines. Like, it's going to be, like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point, Vince, you've got to start building a roster uh, I understand Eno Saris came on the program, said he's talked to multiple front office people. They haven't even been given their budgets yet. But at some point, these guys got to start signing. Well, specific to today or the next you know, 20 hours or whatever, tomorrow's the arbitration deadline. And, you know, typically in the past, we would see 
you know, the, in, in the in the days leading up to it, two or three days leading up to it, such and such agreed on a contract all around baseball, both leagues. You haven't seen anything like that uh, today. And, you know, they're up against it tomorrow. So is it simply going to be we're both going to stare each other down? Here's my figure. Here's your figure. And let that play out even longer. Or, or are we going to be surprised later tonight and right up against that deadline that we'll see a a rush of players that have signed arbitration deals with their teams, which allows, to your point, allows front offices to begin to, A, set the roster, and B, you know, have an idea of the parameters of what their budget's going to be. You know, last year, you know, we were at the winter meetings at San Diego. We had your son on the program, mm-hmm. Eric Cole signing, all that. And, and now you're, like, looking around going, the only teams that really done anything are the Padres and the White Sox? Yep. It's so kind of Baseball has got to find a way, even when they get back to whatever we're going to get back to, to find a way to capture the imagination of free agency. You know, when you see it in the NBA, it's done in 72 hours. Yeah. When you see it, when you see it in the NFL, it's done pretty quickly as well. Baseball is such a drawn out process where there isn't there isn't this excitement, this buildup of of these you know deadlines that allow you to really think about what's going on with uh you know, with your team. So uh, I'm hopeful that that happens. I thought there was an important thing that happened today with, with Theo going to the commissioner's office. I thought that was a really important uh, discovery by Major League Baseball and an important move by Theo to, you know, once he said he was leaving the Cubs, he said, I'm, I'm part of the reason that baseball is the way it is. I want to fix it. And I think the fact that he went to the commissioner's office and he's going to work on on-field issues, I think is a huge a uh, huge plus for baseball, and I hope that they could take advantage of that. I mean, think about where you live and think about Florida. There's a lot of guys looking for jobs right now, yeah, and yeah. they have no idea where they're going to live. They have no idea what they're going to sign. Is it going to be one-year, two-year, long-term deals? I mean, it's um, hopefully going to get decided pretty soon because, you know, according to Bob Nightingale, before you know it, Vinny, you're back on the air calling games. Right, and, and he says it's going to happen on time, and he says there's going to be fans in the ballparks. Well. We'll see how that plays out in, here in Arizona specifically because they've had they've had a lot of issues, you know, fighting the virus. It's been an uphill climb like it has been in California. And there really hasn't been anything recently that has begun to stem the tide. You know, you've got players that, that don't live here. But, one, you know, in the past, guys would come down here in January and they would start working out the complex to start throwing bullpens. Well, you know, that, that's been challenged this year. And you can't – are you going to – can you sign a lease? Are you going to put down a down payment? for a spring training that you think is going to start if you're a pitcher on February 17th, and suddenly it's going to start on March 17th. It's going to be a month later, and everything's going to be pushed back, or there's going to be other uh, circumstances that has the sport taking a step back and making other decisions long-term. It's clear the players want to start on time. It's clear the players want 162. I think the owners do too, but I think you know ownership also wants it to be at, at a point where you know, they've got people in the stands buying soda and beer and, and hot dogs and, you know, start at a percentage. And hopefully that that number increases as the year goes on. And I don't know if we're really close to having any of that kind of thing determined. You know, we focus so much on Major League Baseball and a lot of these guys got generate, you know, generation wealth. I mean, they're going to be fine. It's and you worked in the minor leagues. I feel I feel so bad for so many of these guys that your time is so precious of, as, as a professional athlete in the minor leagues. And we're now, you know, we're going to get to a point to where these guys in the minor leagues, it's been well over a year since they've played a game. Yep. They need development. 
you know, you could say what you want about the alternate site. And that was given the circumstances, the best the teams could do. But they played they played two winning inter-squad games, three at the most. I mean, they were staring at the same guy over and over again. There was no semblance of what it was like to play season. And, you know, you mentioned Dominic before. Dominic is a broadcaster in the minor leagues. He hasn't he he flew back from West Palm Beach in, on March 12th last year after doing spring training games for the Astros, landed here in, in Arizona, and his phone had blown up because that was, you know, the, the Rudy Gobert, and here we go, and everything's canceled, and, and he was going to do Pac-12 baseball games. He was going to do the WBC, and he hasn't, done a, he hasn't done anything since, and he's working at a golf course. Uh, there's a lot of guys like that, guys in, in our industry that are just you – know, you know, our buddy Johnny Dosko, he hasn't worked since last March. He'll come back on when they when they when they uh, make decisions to to announce a schedule, which should be coming up, you know, February 10th or 11th, because the, the, the PDCs all be agreed upon or they're calling them now will be agreed upon by February 10th. And they'll, you'll know the leagues and you know the affiliations and it's all going to be and all those ownerships will have signed the contracts with the major league team. And then they can set their schedule then they can figure out what they're going to do. But everything we've heard about the minor leagues is they're not going to show up in camps until the big league teams are gone. And the other thing, too, about baseball starting on time and trying to play 162, what I've heard from players is that, yeah, we're all for the 162. We want to travel, but we don't want to be sequestered if we travel again. We understand we had to do that last year. This year we want to be able to you know, leave the hotel. You know, go grab a burger, go grab a beer, whatever, you know, before or after the games instead of being, you know, tied down to the hotel. So there's still, aside from what has to happen on the field with DH or no DH or, you know, yeah. seven inning doubleheaders or guy at second base, but there's so many things that have, have not been addressed, at least publicly, that we know about that, that go a long way toward determining when they can actually lift this thing off. We don't even know the roster size. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's it. You know, it was 26 that got pushed to 28 last year, and I tell you, I don't think 26 is enough. I mean, given given what's happening this year, if you're going to play 162 games with with teams, with players, with bodies, with arms that played 60 games the year before, you're going to have your you're going to have injuries. You're going to have to protect these guys even more. You're going to need reinforcements. Every team is going to need reinforcements, and I think they need I think they need a, a larger roster, which should play well for the players. You know, to, to give them more jobs in the big leagues. That's really interesting because you, when you think about it, when you're talking about, you know, these guys played three innings, and I can tell you they ended up at my golf course, Cinnabar Hills. Fran Rear took them up there. Um, yeah, I mean, you're gonna need you're gonna need over thirty guys. I this I think COVID with rules and everything is going to change the game that we know will never look the same. I think the, the roster size, I think the player, obviously the players union will like it, but yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of with you. I, it's like, you're going to need, you're going to need more. The, the days of we got 25 guys that's done. Well, look at the A's rotation, Manaya and Bassett and Lazardo and Montas right now. Most innings they threw last year was what, 40, 50? Are you, are you telling me that it's a foregone conclusion that guy's going to get even 140 innings, let alone 160 or 170? I don't see it happening. So, I mean, you talk about games slowing down because of pitching changes. I think that's going to be that's going to be rampant, especially early in baseball. And people complaining about counting pitches, 
I think that's going to be vital as well because you are concerned about the health of that body. When, when the A's, when I was driving home from Arizona after the playoffs, literally in the car driving on I-10, when Billy and David and Bob had their, you know, end of year uh, Zoom call with us, I asked that day, what's your fear about, you know, going back and going back to some semblance of a full season after what you went through this year. And they really didn't, I'm sure they thought about it, but they didn't address it that day with, you know, with my question. I, I, but it's obviously a concern, not only for the A's, but for even, you know, the Washington Nationals who have Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin or, or the Yankees who have Garrett Cole or, you know, take your pick. I mean, all those guys are going to have to be really watched closely. Even the, you know, the, the very top of the, of the pitching uh, pyramid, those guys got to be, I think they're going to be paid close attention to. Yeah. We were talking to, to Ray Fossey earlier, you know, his old teammate Gay- Gaylord Perry throwing 37 uh, outings and a hundred and no, excuse me, 342 innings. Sure. That's not, that's not walking through that door. No, no. The Vita blues of the day, you know, 40, 37 to 40 starts a year. I mean, Trevor Bauer thinks he could do it in his head, and he's about the only guy that's even willing to talk about it. But same thing. He's coming off of a season where he didn't throw a lot of innings, and if he thinks he can push 220, uh, I would be shocked if he's able to do that. I wouldn't put it past him specifically, but I think it, it comes with a risk for him or any any pitcher at, at any any level that they've accomplished on the, you know, on the major league side. Hey, I got to tell you, you know, it's, you know, these times have been so bad that I had not, my brother finally came up. Uh, I hadn't seen him since uh, he had cancer and we were at the winter meetings. I haven't seen you since spring training. That's coming up on a year. Yep. It's hard to believe I haven't seen you and, uh, and you know how much I love you, your wife. Uh, I think of, of Glenn and Ray and Ken and, and I think we got to, pretty close group. I mean, I miss you guys a lot. And I know it's, I can't wait till we can just see each other again. Yeah. Look, Townie staring at an empty ballpark and an empty tree house and thinking about how we would go over there and it was just a great way to, to start the day. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of conversation about the club and deservedly so, and you kind of got it all started every day and you'll do it again. But it was just, it, it just was a different year in, in so many ways. And and the other side of it, we don't even know the half of it, of what happened downstairs. Because we weren't in the clubhouse. We didn't travel with the team. I'm sure there are stories that Bob Melvin could tell us, the Vucinitz could tell us, a number of players could tell us about the challenges that they really faced on a day-to-day basis, every team that they had to, to go through just to, to get to the point to, to complete the season. I know it was financially driven. I know they needed to get to the postseason. I know they, get to, they needed to get to the World Series to get – the TV money and all those kinds of things. And as, as it turned out, when we, when we look back on it at the end, so many teams, including the A's, were saying, you know what, 60 games this way was enough. Now, there, I, I just can't see how we could have pushed it beyond that just because of, of the constant drag on, 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 on your body and on your mental side of trying to get, get everything accomplished. And, but we're all hoping that you know, the crack of the bat has met with some cheers and uh, we can hear the drums and we can see the flags and maybe at some point we could travel with the team again and actually go down on the field and, and talk to players and coaches and managers. Cause that's, that's the privilege that I have. And, and it's important to me for the person that listens to our games, 
because they can't get down there and talk to Bob Melvin, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon. We can. And they want to know what they're thinking. They want to know about what happened in last night's game or what, how they feel about facing such and such. And that's our responsibility. And we take it, we take it seriously because, first of all, we're always learning. And I'm always appreciative of, of having any time with these guys to, to teach me you know, the, the evolution of what's happening on the field. And I think it's important that we get that opportunity again to, to pass that along to the people that, that give their time and in a lot of cases give their money to the team because it's their team and they, they're fans and that's why they're fans. And I'm hopeful that all players on both sides, American league, national league, you know, from the very top to, to the bottom have a, a greater appreciation for what the fans mean to them and find ways outside the box to show that appreciation. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that can happen. Well said. Can't wait to hear you guys back on the radio. I know it's coming soon. I hope so, Tony. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, my desk is a mess. I've been working on stuff and, and talking to people. Still got to wait. So I guess I got to make a Nick Turley card now because he's on our club and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I, I'm playing a lot of golf and I'm not getting better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the nature of that sport. I've been doing that since I was 15. Oh. But I got somebody like you've got somebody in your family. I got somebody in my house that, you know, that does things with the golf club that we're just not capable of doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm tired of shooting 88. <laughs> <laughs> well, as my son would say, then just get better. Yeah, get better. Yeah, well, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. happen. All Good right, buddy. You, Tony. Be Miss well you guys a lot. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. See you Take guys. Take care, Vinny. One of the voices of your Oakland Athletics. Good to hear his voice. And we're going to be back at it like like you're making, Commander, you're making the, the, the schedule already, right? Yeah, I've been working on that for – I started working on it the other day. And, you know, I'm, ex, uh, I'm starting to get excited that, you know, we, we could have games soon and spring training and everything. So I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, we're not going to have time to do buying or selling, but I'll just do two of them for you real quick. The Sharks season kicks off tonight. Uh, our local San Jose Sharks start the Who season. Who are they playing? The Arizona Coyotes with fans in attendance. Okay, wait a minute. The Arizona Coyotes are playing the Arizona Sharks. Sharks. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Coyotes are the home team, so that's why they're having fans. Buying, uh. or, buying or selling, the San Jose Sharks will return to the postseason in 2021. <sighs> I got to be honest with you. This is like the first. So, so I, I moved to San Jose. In 91, the start of the Sharks. I watched the arena be built. This is like the first year I have not, like, even really thought. Like, hockey's been so out of mind. Um, Vander Kane filing for bankruptcy? I was like, mm, really? Mm. Uh, I'm saying yes. I'm going positive. They're going to shock you, Cody. We're going to be back in the postseason in Arizona. I, Book I mean it. I mean, I hope it happens. I really do. I mean, I like a lot of the guys yeah. on the team still, but it's a long way to go. Our last one. Uh, this hey, is eight teams make it, for God's sakes. I mean, half the league makes it. And, more, and, more than half the league. And we saw the Kings do this before. They won a Stanley Cup being the eighth seed. So, uh, last Steve one. Steve being the eighth seed. Yeah, they were good. I mean, you know, Kopitar, Brown, Jonathan Quick, Daryl Sutter. That's when, I, that's when I said the Sharks were up 3 nothing, and it was a guaranteed victory. Yeah, then they end up blowing that series. Yeah. But anyway. Last one, this is a non-baseball one too, but buying or selling Urban Meyer will take the Jags back to the postseason. Is that for sure yet? It's official. It just came out like 15 minutes ago. 
Really? Urban, Urban Meyer, the new head coach of your Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome to the NFL. Let me tell you something. <laughs> these college guys who are these dictators and they like, like you think of it, like Urban Meyer's got a shady past from Utah to Florida to Ohio State. You get into the NFL, what do they say? Not for long. I can't wait. Look how Nick Saban did with, oh, he's the greatest coach of all time. How do you do with the Dolphins? Look look at Harbaugh. He's not in the NFL anymore. I mean, how many guys, I mean, like Jimmy Johnson, there's not many guys that went, had great success in college, and then it transferred to the NFL. Like the only guy. A whole different ball game. There's one guy that has. I worked in it for years. I lived it. I breathed it. College ain't pro. There's no recruiting, no paying guys under the table. It's a whole different ball game when you're in the National Football League. And it's it's crazy too that oh, like if you think back, let's think back in the last ten years. Besides Jim Harbaugh, the only college coach that's got hired in the NFL that had a little bit of success, and then he ran himself out of two buildings was Chip Kelly. Didn't work. Yeah, he didn't ran, work. Niners hired him to a. They're like, hey, we're gonna hire Chip, five year deal. Let's do it. He goes two and fourteen. We're firing didn't you. Work. And they fired him. So, I yeah. mean, it's just, I'm telling you, it's it's college football, which I love. I love, you know, I love football. I love college football. I love NFL football. The NFL is a different animal. You got guys making a lot of money. You got guys that if they don't, the modern day player, and I, I, I and and I would say this goes for everybody. If they don't feel you have their best interest in hand, you'll lose those players so fast. You know, that's why, and I won't put this on Twitter, but I'll say it here. Remember when Steve Kerr is the greatest coach of all time? Is Steve Kerr still the greatest coach? They got a winning record right now. They're six and five. I think, uh, I think uh, that's what the record is. Remember when they never lost? Remember they wouldn't lose? Steve Kerr is so brilliant. Yeah. Professional sports are so, like in college, in college, you have players essentially for four years, and every year you're replacing these players. But in pro football and baseball and basketball and hockey, that's not how that works. And you've got to figure out that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why we're so lucky to have Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin is a great communicator of men. So all the analytics, all that kind of stuff, you want to do your – and we need to figure out what the hell gyro spin rate is because I have no idea what that is, what Emo was talking about. But the one thing that every player will tell you with the Oakland A's is what a great communicator Bob Melvin is. Everybody knows. And Bob Melvin is letting them all know, hey, listen, I'm a former player. I'm trying to put you in the best possible situation for you to make more money. And that's why the players respect him. Because they know Bob wants to win, but he's also trying to make you to be able to make more money. Ask Liam Hendricks. He'll tell you what he feels about Bob Melvin. And Bob Melvin changed Liam Hendricks' career and Scott Emerson. No question about it. The communication between the A staff and the players is second to none. You don't win 97 games two straight years and then win the division in the pandemic because there's there's this greater dysfunction. There's a lot of respect in that clubhouse, and that's not changing. And that's why the A's 
are the favorite to win the AL West. All right, we're going to be back when? We're going to be back on Wednesday. We're going to go back to – we're going to be on Wednesday, Friday next week. Oh, it's Martin Luther King Day on Monday. Yeah, so we're going to do okay. – we're going to observe Martin Luther King Day, be back Wednesday, Friday, and then starting on the 25th, we're back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 1 to 4 until we hit the spring training schedule and we'll go back to doing PM Drive, as they say in the terrestrial side of radio. Bart Scott once said it for the Jets. Can't wait. All right, buddy, we'll see you on uh, we'll see you on Wednesday. Yeah, can't wait. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.